And by the age of 26, I was already a millionaire. I was working now for Paul Tudor Jones, who was my childhood hero. Um, I was ranked top 30 traders under 30 in the world. Wow. I was becoming the youngest partner ever at this, like the Yankees of hedge funds. Mm. But I was 330 pounds. Wow. And I was nearly dead. Yeah. I've seen pictures of you. I remember the first time you showed me a picture of you, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we can post one for the viewers, but it was pretty pretty gnarly. I was yeah. I was in horrible, horrible shape. I mean, just remembering what it was feel to feel what it feels like to be that heavy, not being able to fit into your clothes, the, the sweatiness, the mm. lethargy, you know, mm. it's just it's just a really, really tough, tough way to be. Yeah. And I had this moment where I realized what the hell am I doing this for? What am I going to do with all this, all this money if I don't have any health, if I don't have any family, if I don't have any relationships? Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Jason Picard. What would you do and what could you become if there was nothing within your psychology or circumstances that stood in the way of achieving your most ambitious goals and dreams? Jason Picard has devoted his life to living his answers to these questions. While still under 30, he had already fulfilled his boyhood ambition of becoming a highly successful trader on Wall Street. Not only was he managing a billion-dollar portfolio, he was also business partner to his idol and mentor, Paul Tudor Jones, one of the world's most successful and philanthropic traders. But this high-pressure, high-power position left Jason in a very precarious state of health. Fortunately, he became willing to change his focus and direction to become a master of his own inner world. He began by altering his working environment, his desk, his nutrition, and his daily routine to support his health and well-being. Ultimately, however, he chose to walk away entirely from this successful pathway to extreme wealth in order to apply his energies and passions towards something more closely aligned with his heart and soul purpose. It was no longer enough for him to focus only on winning financially. Jason was now impelled to find ways to access and actualize his greatest capacity for authentic expression on every level of existence. In order to have a more meaningful life and a more positive impact on others, he risked everything he had to follow a path that leads from consumption to sustainability, from achievement and accomplishment to contribution and nourishment of our innately spiritual nature. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy listening to Paul and Jason talking about finding soul. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have a very, very special surprise for you. We're going to talk about finding soul. And we're going to f- talk about finding soul with someone who has truly found his soul. And it has not come easy. There has been ups and there has been downs. There's been great rewards and great losses. There's been great pain and great success, sadness, and joy. That's my longest-running client and one of the best friends I've ever had in my whole life, Jason Picard. Welcome, Jason. Great to be here. Jason's been coaching with me regularly, without missing a beat, for over 10 years. We've seen a lot together, haven't we? We've done it all. We are going to find some soul right now. Here we go. 
Wonka Tonka Tonka Sheila Wonka Tonka Tonka Sheila Pila Maya Yelo Chanu pa wankan cha maya kue lo he Pila maya ye lo he Wiko choni wa maya kue lo Pila maya ye Pila maya ye lo he Wonka Tonka Tonka Sheila Wonka Tonka Tonka Sheila Pila Maya Yelohe Chanu Pa Wonkan Cha Maya Kuelohe Pila Maya Yelohe we go choni wa maya kue lo pila maya ye pila maya ye lo he yeah a whole great spirit Woo! finding soul with me and my buddy and boy have we found some soul together Woo! So many things to share today. Well, Jason, your story is one hell of a story, I'll tell you. We're going to talk about it, but boy, when you came to me, you were in rough shape. I sure was. <laughs> I sure was. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But to start off, I think, you know, your story is very interesting, especially because you hit this paradoxical situation of being super, super successful in your career and very financially abundant, but also equally empty on the inside. And, you know, you found that no amount of money would fill that emptiness. And uh, you made a hell of a transition at that certain point in your career, which was scary to do but we'll we'll sneak up on that i'd love to for for everybody listening to, to if you could share your background and how how your life began and how it unfolded and how you you know progressively got into being a trader and then had this massive success yet found yourself really uncomfortable in your body and your existence sure yeah thank you mm -hmm, thank you yeah so Oh, by the way, what the hell were you singing there? <laughs> it sounded great, but yeah. I'm like, I don't know what he's saying. That was a that was a Lakota pipe song. Oh. A thank you, great spirit song. It just felt appropriate. Well, Ooh. here's the pipe. Being filled with gratitude the today. Peace pipe, baby. Yeah. Cheers. We do the peace pipe here. So I grew up in, in New York and my first loves coming into this world were drumming and magic. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, that was just not inspired by anybody, but it just my soul's inspiration to pick up a drum from a very young age. Mm. But like most children, we get pushed into the modern world and enculturation. And I, I very soon realized that uh, my parents expected me to 
focus on being a successful person, <laughs> not necessarily a magician or a drummer. Yeah. And around the ages of, you know, 10, 11, 12, I was fortunate enough because my dad was in Wall Street to get exposed to some really incredible um, financial people, um, particularly Paul Tudor Jones, who's known as the best trader in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was 12 years old, I was going to family picnics and, and meeting these people and just really inspired by their world. So around that time, I got really focused on wanting to be a successful trader. I really thought that that was my ticket to happiness and success. And mm -hmm. I really loved the, the competitiveness and the excitement of it. And so I focused primarily on that. You know, when I was, went to college in the University of Virginia, I only cared about trading. And when I left college in 2002, I went right into that world and, and very quickly became successful. I was working on this very new kind of trading called weather trading, where I was working with meteorologists trying to figure out how the weather impacted different commodity markets. And by the age of 26, I was already a millionaire. I was working now for Paul Tudor Jones, who was my childhood hero. Um, I was ranked top 30 traders under 30 in the world. Wow. I was becoming the youngest partner ever at this, like the Yankees of hedge funds. Mm. But I was 330 pounds, wow. and I was nearly dead. Yeah. I've I seen pictures of you. I remember the first time you showed me a picture of you, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, we can post one for the viewers, but it was pretty pretty gnarly. I was yeah. I was in horrible, horrible shape. I mean, just remembering what it, was feel, to feel, what it feels like to be that heavy, not being able to fit into your clothes, the, the sweatiness, the mm. lethargy, you know, mm. it's just it's just a really, really tough, tough way to be. Yeah, And I had this moment where I realized, what the hell am I doing this for? What am I going to do with all this, all this money if I don't have any health, if I don't have any family, if I don't have any relationships? Mm. So around that time, I met uh, Chaba Lucas, who's a, who's a mutual friend of ours. Mm -hmm. One of my, or, well, actually, he, he's a Czech level one practitioner, but he took training with me way back, I think in the late 90s on Vancouver Island. Yeah, yeah. So it was quite interesting that in you know in the middle of New York City here I meet randomly mm -hmm. a Czech professional mm -hmm. who had how to eat and move and be healthy in his gym. Wow, good! And he had this like very dungeon, you know, rocky in Russia, old school gym in the in the basement of a building in the financial district. And I just went in there and just grounded out for two years. And yeah, I, I just you know blood, sweat, and tears every single day, you know, and I went from 330 pounds to 160 pounds in about two years, purely on exercise. Mm -hmm. And it's actually quite funny because Chaba was quite impressed with my, you know, transformation and he wanted to kind of show off to you what he had done with me. <laughs> so we made this video of me working out in the gym and I'm doing jump squats and walking lunges and cable pulls and all these things. We send this video to you and say, look at this stud. He just lost 170 pounds. And you wrote back, he just went from soggy white bread to burnt piece of, a burnt piece of toast. Yeah. And he needs to take two years off from exercise. Yeah. Hearing that was such a shock to my ego because, you know, exercise was my whole life. And I realized at that moment, I just really had transferred my addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, food and excess and all that to something that was more socially acceptable. Yeah. But it was still a, a, a real serious addiction. And that's when the whole inner process started for me, mm. going inside, um, 
And, you know, obviously that's kind of was the kickoff of our work together, which has changed my life. Well, it's funny that you felt an insult from my video, but that you wanted to work with me. <laughs> How did that transpire? Most people don't hire the guy that insults them. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've always had this insatiable thirst for learning. Mm -hmm. And I could tell in that moment that you had something to offer me that, you know, I, I couldn't get anywhere else. You know, Chaba and I had sort of reached the end of our path together of learning. And I said, well, I, if this guy thinks I'm on the wrong path, I want to learn more. You know, I had, I really wanted to be healthy and I really wanted to be a whole person. And so you and I started working together virtually and it wasn't long before I realized that you had so much to offer. And, you know, I came and visited you in about 2010 and the rest is history. Yeah. It's been a very consistent journey and we've worked through a lot of stuff and, Lots and lots of um, trials and error. Um, what do you think? What do you think coming to me was? What happened in for for you on the inside? Like, what was the big shift for you? Yeah, I, I think this is you know we've talked about this, but this is sort of what jo Joseph Chilton Pierce talks about about the the teacher student or the guru student relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, finding you was finding like a a parent figure. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, you know, I have a wonderful father and mother, as you know, but yeah. it was like the bond that we had together mm -hmm. was just something that that touched me so deeply. Mm -hmm. um, you offered to me an education that, despite going through great schools and going to a top university, I had never received. Yeah. I never learned, you know, how to take care of myself and how to live, how to eat, how to move, how to sleep, mm. how to think. Mm. And you just opened my eyes to all of these, all of this incredible knowledge that you had gained. And mm. to me, it was just like my soul just was dying for that, thirsting for that. Yeah. I think for me too, what, you know, obviously I, I've had thousands and thousands of students. I think there's something like 60,000 people now that have gone through some level of the Czech program. But, you know, every, <laughs> excuse me, every teacher is looking for a good student, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think what was really exciting for me is you listened and you practiced it. Yeah. And, you know, Nothing's more draining for a guy like me than feeling like a professional babysitter and having to say the same stuff over and over and over again. It's just it's just like Groundhog Day. And um, I think when I had the beauty of somebody that would listen and then go do it and then come back and ask intelligent questions. In fact, I was thinking about this just this weekend through our ceremony together. You've actually spent more time with me personally than anyone in the world. What an honor. Even more than my most highly trained instructors, and a lot more. I mean, you know, if you go through level four and you did it all with me, you'd do basically five weeks of training with me. So if you said that was 40 hours a week, four times five, what's about 200 hours, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you and I have spent thousands of hours. Yeah, together. well, we we were doing you know at least two to three visits a year for four or five days, all yeah. all in, and plus we were 
doing virtually every, talking every week to two weeks and yeah. we were we were conversing every day i was sending you four doctor journals every single day yeah. and we were in and, you know that was an incredible way to learn i would write to you a journal every single day about doctor diet quiet movement and happiness and yeah. what was going on in my life my morning heart rate what i was eating yeah and you were just giving me constant feedback so yeah that was important and i've done that with many clients but here's an example of the difference between you and a lot of people you filled the forms out. I can't even give you a list. There's not enough paper for me to write a list of all the people that desperately needed daily guidance, right? You know, I, I don't have enough space in my schedule to do a, a daily session with people, even if they can afford it. So I would say to people, look, here's your basic four doctor practice. Write down everything you're eating. Write down what you did for exercise. Write down what you're doing for creating happiness for yourself. Tell me what time you went to bed, how your sleep quality was. Tell me how many times a day you're pooping, what your poops look like, what they smell like. Do they float? You know, all the stuff that's in how to eat, move, and be healthy. Because I have to teach people to start paying attention to what their body's telling them and what they're doing to themselves, right? So input, output. I ate this and this happened. I stayed up late and this happened. I skipped exercise and this happened, or I over-exercised and this happened. But you you know, it's just, it always boggles my mind how people will go to doctors, take dangerous drugs, get multiple surgeries, but they won't write down what they're eating or, you know, the most basic things that you have to pay attention to where you never know how you ended up on the operating table to begin with. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, it was just like, finally, I've, I've got a real... Student. Now, I have had other good students. I don't want to be unfair, but none of them as disciplined as you are. And it's, and you know, I also have had the privilege of knowing other teachers you've worked with. Right. And they've all said, Jason's the best student I've ever had. And I say, well, join the club. <laughs> He's my best student, too. And I've also warned many, because I've referred you to Czech professionals all over the world when you're traveling or to work with people in New York. And I always warn him, don't screw around with this guy because he knows more about what you're doing than you probably do. And they always giggle. They think, oh, that's, yeah, bullshit, Paul. But they all found out, didn't they? They did, yeah. <laughs> I, make sure you do the assessments properly. Make sure you teach the exercises properly. Make sure you're paying attention. Don't talk on cell phones. Don't do any of the things I taught you not to do. And inevitably... Well, they find out that the student knows more than the teacher. Yeah. Well, like you, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, we're both not here to waste time, right? No. I mean, life is short and, you know, I, I personally want to get the most out of it. And, and for me, meeting you was like this reawakening. It was like a remembering. It's almost like something that I had known in a past life that I had forgotten. And, and now I was reawakening to this truth. And you know, I just, I, I, I've always taken to, to teachers of trying to find the best people in the world and their particular, you know, in their particular teachings and their particular departments and trying to extract the most amount of information about it and trying to integrate into my own life to, and you, to and grow. You, and you have, and we're going to talk about that because you've worked with some incredible people. I mean, in the 10 plus years we've been together, you have rubbed shoulders with the giants on many levels. And that's been fun for me too, because, you know, I sort of 
built a foundation with you. You know, I, I said, Jason, these are the things you got to have because without this in place, all all the gurus in the world aren't going to help you. In fact, you'll find many gurus out there that are sick people. You know, OSHA was a sick person. Uh, you know, the list is long. Just walk into any doctor's office. Right. And so, you know, I, I wanted to make sure you were grounded in foundation principles because that's what life is about. I mean, you and I have studied the soil and farming and the importance of food and water and breathing and exercise and meditation and Tai Chi. And you've done multiple gongs with me and, you know, and you've done lots of gongs with other people. Um, and that's the beauty of the Czech system. Yeah. I think is that, you know, in your, in your teaching, you were not limiting me to saying you only have to, you know, learn my stuff, right? right you no. exposed me to the world. You, you exposed me to many types of meditation, many types of Tai Chi and Qigong, um, all the world religions, yeah. Ken Wilber, mm. art, mm. you know, it, the list goes on. Yeah, we've done a lot of art together. Yeah, and you've always encouraged me to explore other people and to incorporate it, but, you know, the Czech principles, it, they're the foundation for anything else. Yeah. You know, if you want to go and study art therapy or music or psychology or philosophy or religion, but you don't know how to go to sleep on time, <laughs> you don't know how to eat, you don't know how to drink water, you don't know how to poop, you don't know how to exercise, you don't know how to play. You become well, a smart, sick person. You become an academic. Yeah. Yeah. A professor that talks about things that they don't do. Piled higher and deeper. Yeah. PhD. Progressive head death. Sadly, but at least the, the neat thing was, is I was really excited when I saw a statistical report on the people that had not gotten vaccinated for COVID and PhDs were the class of people that were the most skeptical and apprehensive. And I think uh, the other one was uh, Hispanics and black people. And I said, okay, PhDs at least can think rationally, and the Hispanics and black people have been lied to so much and, yeah. and experimented on so much, they're wise to be hesitant. They and, have a deep distrust, and, and the PhDs maybe were smart enough to find the real research papers. Yes. Yeah. So there is some beauty to the PhD. Um, it would be fun, you know, you've been through some you know, you've been through some freaking tough challenges, man, in our time together. One thing that comes up, and you can share as much about this as you want, but, yeah. you know, when you were, for, for a long time, you were a very successful trader. And there's two things that, that really stick out for me. One, when I taught you to trade with your soul instead of your head, that had a quite an interesting impact on your trading. And two, I remember the day you called me and told me how much you lost on a trade one time. Yeah. And the stress of that, you know, the amount of money that you had lost, I, I didn't even have a mindset for how to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you're talking about the amounts of money that I can't even fathom. And, you know, it put you in a really tough situation. So I had to work with you to walk through that. I, I, I think I'd like to let you share about what happened when you trade with your soul, but what kind of risks you have to take to, to operate at that level? Because I don't think most people really understand how much stress is in that job. Yeah. 
Well, you know, one of the things that helped me the most really was bringing the four doctors into that world. So once I learned about the four doctors, I was able to incorporate them into what I called the four doctors of trading. So, you know, for, for doctor diet, yeah. I, I started to bring my own food to work. Yeah. So all of a sudden you have all these people eating this crap food in the cafeteria, you know, cheeseburgers, fries, whatever, the, the normal stuff you would get. And I'm bringing in, you know, all organic food. I'm bringing in my own water. I'm bringing in my own espresso. I'm setting up feng shui on my desk. I have plants. I'm, I, we had rows and rows of these desks of people. You know, I was on a trading floor with 300 successful people in these long rows of desks. And all of a sudden I made them cut my desk out to put a standing desk in. Yeah. So now I'm standing, now I'm sitting on a Swiss ball, now I'm kneeling while I'm working. Yeah. I'm taking time to eat my lunch. I'm meditating throughout the day. I'm going into the gym. Um, I'm even incorporating art into my, into my practice. I'm getting to sleep on time, right? And so all of these things were were crucial in managing the stresses of that business. You know, without without that, without putting the right stuff into your body, without managing all of the, all of your four doctors, you're gonna you're gonna fall apart, and and you're also not gonna be able to uh, operate at the highest level. No, I'm- you know, if you want to be the best at what you, if you want to be the best in the industry. You know, you're not going to put uh, McDonald's oil into your Ferrari, right? Right. And so if you want to work uh, at the top level, you have to treat yourself like a temple. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you you taught me how to do. What was the reaction from the traders? That must have been interesting for them to watch all this going down. Well, it was really weird for them. And at first they were quite skeptical and looking at me, you know, kind of cross-eyed. But after they saw me, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars for the firm, um, they started asking questions. <laughs> and it wasn't long before, you know, organic food was being incorporated into the office. And all of a sudden, about five, six years later, the whole trading floor got renovated and everyone had standing desks. That's great. Now, they didn't quite know how to have perfect ergonomics. You know, <laughs> you'd see people like leaning over their desk and they didn't have the whole setup right. But that's the kind of influence that one person can have. Yeah. And, and you know, and when you influence people at that level, you're influencing very successful, powerful people. They could have a big impact on the world. So that really was the silent lover there. Yeah, it is silent lover and the silent teacher. And you know, you're bringing up an important point, and I will share a quick story. Uh, you know, when I wrote my golf biomechanics manual, all sorts of people came to me and said, I didn't know you were a golfer. I said, I'm not. I just know biomechanics, and it doesn't matter what sport you play. And you know, when you understand biomechanics, you can be a, a high jumper or a swimmer. Or, you know, I know how to break down the biomechanics of human movement, and I have a system, as you know, the primal pattern system, so I can look at any sport. And I've worked with tons of elite golfers with all sorts of problems very successfully. So people said, Well, why did you write the book then? I said, Because golfers and swimmers are the largest sports population in the world. There's no bigger population of people in any sport than golfing and swimming. It's about tied for the number of people swimming and playing golf. The difference is the average income of a golfing family is above 100000 a year. So I said, I wrote the Golf Biomechanics Manual because golfers will do anything to hit that ball straighter and further. Yeah. And including eating organic food, including paying attention to the four doctors, and so most golfers are either owners of businesses or have influential positions in businesses 
So the reason I wrote the Golf Biomechanics Manual was because if I could improve their game and they could see what the practices were doing to their game, it would become part of their life and then it would affect their companies. And it did like dominoes. Many people that came to me for golf problems ended up taking the four doctor concepts, the six foundation principles, how to eat, move, and be healthy, buying cases of books off of me and going back to their companies and influencing the whole company. So, you know, there's an example of how if you identify what a person's dream is, remember, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis, and then showing them how to do it, they all had the same realization. Wow, if this is doing this good for my golf and making me feel this much better, what would happen if my employees were doing this? And so it it had a ripple effect right through the world, really. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's just a little sort of a side note, you know, to say, you are doing it in the trading industry, but I've tried to, you know, this is why I worked for professional sports teams because I wanted to, you know, get high level athletes and, and, you know, people like Laird Hamilton, for example, and Gabby Reese came to me in the nineties for coaching advice. And I've been a consultant to them ever since. And, you know, they're very intelligent people. They, they saw the obviousness of it right away. And, and there's been, as you know, countless others but it's been good to be able to find people that have, you know, I found that if a person doesn't have a dream for themselves and for their life, they're pretty much uncoachable. Yeah. They have no North Star. They have no compass bearing. Yeah. And that reminds me of a story because, you know, here I am, at, you know, in the Wall Street world and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trading and I'm doing these things. And, and Paul Tudor Jones, you know, who's a very influential person is sitting right behind me, seeing the transformation going on inside of me, seeing the transformation in my work. And all of a sudden, he's starting a group at the University of Virginia called the Contemplative Sciences Center, right? Which is a was a is a whole department uh, in a university built on on expanding consciousness, right? And as he's talking to me, he's saying, "Wow, you know, you really need to be in this group because you know what you're talking about, and you know a lot of us are don't really know these things as well as you do." So the next thing I know. He's flying me down on his private plane to the University of Virginia, and I'm sitting next to Deepak Chopra and Ariana Huffington, and the four of us are there on a plane, and I'm talking to them about the importance of bringing good food into, into the university and teaching people how to do the four doctors, because still at that level, it was just more of an academic thing. Okay, you know, we could have a bunch of courses, we could teach people about resilience, but I'm saying, listen, none of that matters unless we teach them the things that I didn't learn in university. Right. I went to university... I learned how to be a successful business person. I didn't learn how to be a successful human being. I didn't learn how to take care of myself. You know, these are the things that should be taught in kindergarten. Right. And so, you know, there's just another example of, you know, just trying to do the best you can to improve your life and then, you know, having an influence on really important people. And, I, I, you know, I think the thing that you taught me with tracking the four doctors is this whole idea of tracking or stalking, or pacing yourself. Yeah. Once you develop this awareness practice of monitoring yourself, that can bleed over into anything. So all of a sudden, learning this awareness practice, I learned how to be more aware of my trading. I learned how to be more aware of the markets, what's happening inside of me, the pull of the markets. And the same thing happens now as I'm a process worker in process-oriented psychology. I'm just stalking and tracking and pacing with awareness my clients' processes. Yeah. And so, you know, th those skills of learning how to look inside yourself, you know, touch your own soul and follow what's happening inside of you and what the outcome is, 
that can can go into a- any endeavor. Hi, everybody. I'm very excited to share some big news with you today. This month, anyone with an internet connection will be able to learn my holistic system of exercise and conditioning. That's because we're finally putting one of my most important advanced training programs out to the digital world. That's Integrated Movement Science Level 1, which is now available online. IMS1 includes my physiological load assessment, postural assessments, stretching and mobility assessments, how to perform corrective mobilizations, instructions on improving stability, and a huge library of exercises, all of which are game changers for any practice. The physiological load assessment alone makes a huge difference in your client results and keeps them from getting injured and progressing more naturally and fully, which results in excellent walk-around marketing for you. Whether you're just getting started in holistic health and performance, or you're looking to upskill, or you just want to stand out from the crowd, IMS1 is the advanced training you need. To get early notification of the course release and win a 10% discount at the launch, please go to the check shop, that's C-H-E-K shop, thecheckshop.com forward slash I-M-S number one online. That's thecheckshop.com forward slash I-M-S one online and sign up. I know you're going to love this program. I've got nothing but excellent feedback for the years I've been running it live and it's super exciting to be able to share it with you online so you can learn at your own pace anytime anywhere you have an internet connection enjoy one of my favorite stories is I remember you saying you know Paul you're not going to believe this I'm going to be on an airplane with Deepak Chopra to go to this meeting and you were a bit nervous about it I said Jason don't worry about a thing I promise you, he'll be asking you questions before the day is done. Yeah. <laughs> I remember you called me back and told me, yep, you were right. <laughs> yeah, that was quite an interesting, interesting time. You know, you, you, you sit with these, these legends and yeah, I was, I was quite young and quite nervous at the time, but your training had, had really prepared me very well for, for that encounter. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and, you, in my, and many others too um, in my life. Tell, tell me, you know, you and I did a lot of work and, and before I move on to the soul and trading, you know, biohacking drives me fucking bat- batty. Sure. You know, I'm, I've I've done so many podcasts and there's so many people that are just biohack this, nootropic that, take this pill, your brain will do this. You know, it's like all of this shit, you're, 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 you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. You got to start with real food, right? And so... When I taught you and and have taught thousands how to monitor their four doctors and pay attention to what's happening inside of you and stop looking at your damn gadget that tells you how many calories you took and how many steps you took, because none of that matters if you don't have these other things in place. And and the problem is, is, as I tell people all the time, every time you add a gadget into your life, you disconnect from a part of your internal wisdom system sure you rely on something to tell you what your heart rate is instead of paying attention to your own perceived effort you rely on something to tell you how many calories you should eat but that doesn't tell you anything about how much nutrition is in the calories so you say oh look i did 156 calories i can have an apple and a rice cake right yeah but you might need you know two chicken legs and a salad yeah 
you know, for a million reasons, but I just think that, you know, and, and what I said to, I think, Ben Greenfield about this, I said, look, or and I think it might have been Dave Asprey too, I said, look, I would much rather see people learning bioharmonizing than biohacking. Yeah. The human being is not a computer. It's not a machine. You cannot take shortcuts with it. And I'm sure you've seen this over and over again in your life. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the most impactful thing you taught me was just checking my morning heart rate. Yeah. You know, waking up every day and before you get out of bed, checking your morning heart rate for a minute and, and building a, a database of what your average is and then just knowing, hey, is my heart rate below average? Great. I got a lot of energy. Am I within a couple beats of my average? Great. I, I can maybe do a workout. Or am I in the plus five, plus 10 beats? I got to really watch myself today. If people just did that and had this relationship with their own heart and with their own biorhythms, yeah, uh, it, it would pretty much eliminate any need for any gadget, you know. And, and, and the same thing with goes listening to your own heart. I mean, when mm. you're in all these biohacking technologies, you're still in your head, yeah, and you're only operating with a, a portion of, of of your capacity, right? And it's keeping you in your head, right? Which is not a really good place to, because the, your head's full of everybody else's information, sure, right. Um, there was a, a biohacking thing I was going to share there, but anyhow, it slipped out of my mind. But I think that uh, I think that this reliance on digital data is very dangerous because it turns people into data sets instead of human beings. So people end up going to doctors and and everything's on a oh your hormone levels are this you're but they're not ever looking at how it got that way. Yeah, I mean, and you know, if you take two, you know, two allergy tests on the same day, you'll come up with different results, yeah, right? Absolutely. We've, we've both tried that. Yeah. You know, we're getting farther and farther away from from being in touch with ourselves. I mean, yeah. you know, with 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 all of the advances of technology and you know all these things on the horizon with the microchipping and you know the Alexas and the the refrigerator that tells you when when to order new food, um, we we've really lost touch with. Uh, ourselves ourselves yeah our soul which is the point of this podcast yeah and you know people forget what the self is you know there's s-e-l-f with a small s-e-l-f which is the wholeness of the individual which includes your soul your spirit and everything that you are which is the whole universe paradoxically right if you were to say okay where did the atoms in my body come from? And we could say, okay, there's a little bit of this, there's a little gold, there's a little of aluminum, there's some uh, calcium in there. You know, if you break the body down into the periodic table of elements, and then you say, well, where'd that come from? Well, I've got several books in my library that break this down. And they say, well, these came from the sun, and these come from the earth, but these didn't originate in the sun. These came from over here. And so this star, the sun, had to have gotten elements from that star. Well, the, the, the outcome is every one of us is a product of the entire universe and the whole world. I mean, we're turning over every cell in our body every year, according to current science. And so every time you drink water, you're making a new part of yourself. You eat food, you're making a new part of yourself. But people forget, if you're eating shit from poisoned soils... You're making cells out of poison food. If you're drinking poison water, if you're breathing shitty air, you, you know, you, you are your environment. The human body is like a water fountain. You know, you've probably been to a park and seen 
like a big water fountain. And if you are far enough away from it, it looks like a tree. It looks like a white water tree. And as you get close, you realize it's moving. It's constantly circulating. And so the water shoots up and then it comes back into a basin and it shoots up again. Well, the basin would be like the environment and the water fountain would be like the human body. And we're constantly holding ourselves up, but drawing everything in. If we stop eating, then the water fountain goes down. If we stop drinking, the water fountain goes down. If we stop sleeping, the fountain goes down. If we stop moving, it goes down. If we stop breathing, it goes down. So what do people do? They go buy a more powerful pump. <laughs> right. You know, and, and they, they realize, well, you're running out of water. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's nothing to pump. It's really incredible too, because you know what you taught me is if if you're putting non-organic food or you know crappy water into your body, your body's actually using more energy. Yeah. To convert that than it's actually gaining from yes. the, from the food itself. It's amazing that people are walking around eating the foods that they're eating and st- are still able to stand up. Yeah, it is. I amazing. mean, the, the the human body is is so resilient. It's, it's incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you really are what you eat, and. You know, it's just it's just incredible um, what people are willing to put into their bodies without even thinking about it, including drugs and vaccinations and every other damn thing. It's you know, and 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 doing this to children, and you know, and and in all fairness to the people, they have been railroaded by false education, by marketing, and by very very advanced brainwashing technology. So is. As sad and frustrating as it is to watch, I, I also look out in the world and see, you know, most people really, they know far more about their iPhone than they do anything about four doctors. Yeah, they know far more about the Kardashians than, yeah. they, than they know about their own body. Exactly. And that, that's a paradox. We, we work together, you know, once I got you grounded in your four doctors and I, I said, Jason, you know, I need to teach you how to get out of your head and listen to your soul, which is really the intelligence of the heart. It's the wisdom of the whole self. And the uh, other thing I forgot to mention was capital S-E-L-F represents the world and everything that supports you. So our little self, me as Paul and you as Jason, is dependent upon the capital S-E-L-F, which is our family, our friends, our society, our culture, and the environment, nature, the the whole planet, and so you know we've 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 lost our self, our little self, because we're losing our big self, and they're mirroring each other. As we biohack ourselves, we biohack the world. As we poison the world, we poison ourselves. As we poison the world, we poison ourselves more. We get more tired, more confused, and more lost, and we keep poisoning the world and keep trying to use pills and vaccines and junk to fix ourselves which makes us more and more profitable and more and more tired and more and more susceptible to trickery because we can't think and we can't feel. So with you, you know, you have a very powerful mind and, and, and that's, you know, we all know the mind is a double-edged sword. And what I recognized early in you is your greatest strength was also your greatest weakness. And that is that your ability to analyze and to work data and to see patterns in the market and all the things that made you extremely successful financially were stopping you from getting down into your heart and really feeling intuitively what can help you, whether it be what's coming in relationships, whether it be what's the right food to eat or 
uh, when to change your exercise program or you know any any of the myriad of things we all deal with every day that can be x factors to you know which doctor's the right one for my children should i get married to this person etc and so we spent quite a lot of time you know really working with getting into the soul and i showed you how to use muscle testing to double check had you look at any kind of supplements, check with your soul first. Don't just take it, what it says on the bottle. Um, and really let have no diet plan. Let your soul guide you from meal to meal. And then you took that into your trading. I'd like you to share that story. Yeah, I think what's so important about that is that it's, it's changing the identification of us as this body to us as the soul. Yes. You know, it's it's... It's it, it, we we say we're checking in with our soul, but that that really is us. Yes, that's the essence of us. Mm-hmm. And when we're dealing on the periphery, as you know, dealing with our body, we're we're, we're not we're, we're kind of dealing with the false self in, yeah. in, in a way. Yes, um, you know, with regards to the trading, for me, it was it was really getting into the meditation and getting into art. Mm. I remember this this one this one time I had a a, a, a trade that I think you're referencing around 2012, where I think overnight I lost $100 million. Now we wound up making that money back and doing okay on the whole thing. But I was in a situation where in in two hours, we had lost $100 million. And I was like, it's not going to be three seconds before my phone lights up. And it's my boss calling me into his office. <laughs> and he calls me into his office and he says, look, what the hell's going on? And you know, I'm trying to explain this position to him. And it's, you know, it's close to the end of the day now. And he says, you got to come back in on Monday with a plan. Or you're done. Yeah. So I remember I was like, oh my God. So, you know, I went out and I checked out for the weekend and we went out to the beach and all day Saturday, I just tried to relax, you know, the best I could. I was going paddle boarding and hanging out. And on Sunday, you know, I I made a nice smoke of tobacco and I went out into the backyard with a huge piece of white paper and markers. And I just started doing art and drawing and really just tapping into my soul and my heart and Throughout that process, somehow I manifested a plan for how to c- convince my boss and my company to keep me in this position. And I came back in Monday morning with these huge pieces of paper, all this art, and people were looking at me like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I used that to write up a whole business plan and present it to them. And we wound up convincing the company that this was actually a good position to stay in. And we wound up staying in it and, and making money on it. So, you know, that's just a little bit example about how if I was just using my head there, I would have been completely lost. I never would have figured out a plan. I probably would have been out of a job, you know, 10 years before I retired. But by by just relaxing and meditating and letting my soul kind of show me the way out of this, I was able to successfully, you know, navigate that that uh, that huge problem. I think, you know, it's hard for people to imagine how much stress, <clears throat> you know. I mean, I remember in 2000 and Eight when the stock market crashed, in 24 hours, I had four Czech practitioners call me on the phone personally to tell me that one of their clients had lost so much money they committed suicide. Wow. Four people in 24 hours. Yeah. It's not common in my industry. I, I, I'd seen many people have heart attacks on the trading floor. Yeah. When I was 17 and I was interning at, in, in, a, in, a, in a firm, I saw somebody have a heart attack on the floor and that was like 
what the hell is you going on? You mean it's on? not uncommon? It's not uncommon. Yeah. It's not uncommon for people to literally, you know, have a stroke or a heart attack in that environment. Yeah. You know, it, it, it takes a lot of, of inner strength and, and maintenance of yourself to be able to navigate that kind of world without uh, really impacting your health. Yeah. It, it really does. It, it, it's, it's scary. I mean, I, I've been broke myself, so when I met Penny, I had everything I owned in the back of a car except my library, which was a huge pile of boxes of books. And so it was kind of embarrassing because here I met the dream girl of my life and, you know, we, we had an instant connection and, you know, most people know the story. We were only together for four days and we got engaged. But then I, I remember saying to her, because she, you know, she was quite impressed with my knowledge, right? right? And she had a master's degree in exercise and sports science, and she's a super smart human being. And she told me, she said, I learned more in three days of your workshops than I did in my entire master's degree. And I said, well, before you get too excited about how smart I am, I'm broke. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes, well, don't worry, you do what you do, and I'll manage the business. And yeah. two and a half years later, I think we're Two and a half, three years later, we're up to two and a half million dollars a year from zero. And so um, the point is, I know what it feels like to, to lose everything. Yeah. And it, it really does. It really is a, a metal check, you know, your, yeah. your, your inner strength and it, it pushes you to the limit of yourself. <laughs> well, it really does. I mean, especially when you identify with that as, yeah. as success, you know, yeah. in that world, you, you, you know, what you think of as success is how much money you're making. Yeah. You know, that's where all of the appreciation and that's where all of the internal happiness comes from. Mm -hmm. But you, you ultimately realize, or at least I ultimately realized that that was not something that was ever really going to fulfill me. Yeah. What, what's, what do you think the biggest thing has happened for you? Because you've had to navigate a lot of tough challenges. I mean, we have, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg for the stuff you've had to go through in the, 10 plus years I've worked with you from very challenging relationship situation with your first wife and uh, you know just a lot a lot of stuff that took every ounce of my coaching skills to get you through it um what do you think's been the most impactful thing for you with deepening your relationship with your soul yeah i think probably getting through that that my first uh marriage my my divorce you know um, it's not something I talk about too much, but my, my, my first wife, you know, was, you know, the mother of my, my two girls. I have three children now, but the mother of my two girls. And, um, when we moved, we decided to move from New York city to upstate New York in 2016. And when we went up there, she started going into a very extreme state. Yeah. And for six months she was having really sort of psychotic, uh, symptoms and it was super, super scary. Mm. If I didn't have a relationship with my soul. Um, I probably would have gone mad myself. Yeah. You know, I would have lost it. I mean, the, the stress at that time of having a one-year-old and a two-year-old girl with your wife, you know, having this like stress-induced kundalini opening where she was just really a psychotic opening and not knowing, you know, which way was up or down. And also trying to manage a $1 billion portfolio at the same time. I mean, th that's enough stress to kill you. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's this, this inner guidance system that I had that kind of guided me along. You know, the same thing that guided me to you, the same thing that guided me to the other teachers in my life. Um, that it, w Without being in touch with my own soul, without, you know, having practiced, okay, 
this is how you work with food. Should I eat chicken or should I eat beef? Mm. Should I, you know, water this plant today? Should I not water this plant? Yeah. You know, should I pick this rock for the, the rock stack or that one? Yeah. If I hadn't had those repetitions of practicing, you know, talking to my soul and being guided by my soul for the little things, yeah, there was no way that it would have worked, you know, for the big things in those moments. So I think all of the preparation we had done with building a relationship with my own soul through mm. art, through all the different practices, yeah, meditation, contemplation, rock all of these things, rock stacking, exercise, everything, really, yeah, everything. You know, starting from the smallest to the largest, from the socks and shoes you clothes you wear, yeah, every day, which flight to take, etc. Yeah, without that, I would not have made it through the through that experience. Yeah, and you know, you've 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 you know, because you're you're financially able to pretty much hire whoever you want to if they're available so you've been blessed with the financial ability to find meet and work with some pretty damn amazing people you know i've got you know alex gray you've worked with personally and and well that's a great story about about yeah finding your own soul because you know yeah, when, when i was talk about that well that's a really interesting story yeah, that whole thing yeah it's really cool because you know when I, I was living in new york city at the time and I had seen Alex Gray's art, and I was really moved by it. And I reached out to his his uh, manager and said, you know, I'd really love to to commission uh, an Alex Gray piece someday. And they said, all right, you know, there's like a five-year waiting list or something for this, and we'll, we'll put you down. One day we'll call you. Well, when I was in the, the midst of, of the most chaotic time of my wife's, ex-wife's um, breakdown, I, g- I just had to get out of the house one day with the kids because, to be quite honest, it was it – was, it was scary to be home with her at that moment. And I just got in my car and started driving down the highway. And I didn't even know where I was going. I don't know if anyone's ever had this. I had never had that experience before, but I got in the car and just started driving because I just couldn't be home. I had the kids in the back. I'm on the highway. And all of a sudden, I had this intuition just to drive to Alex Gray's uh, facility in Wappinger Falls, New York. Right. So I pull up there with my kids. I walk into his little cafe. He's got this cool, like, mushroom cafe with all this art on the wall. And we're drinking some kind of cool latte or whatever. And I just, I just lean over to, you know, the, the person serving the tea. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm on Alex's wait list for a piece. I don't know if he's here, but if he is here today, can you just say, tell him I'm here? I just wanted to say hello. It wasn't 10 minutes before him and his wife, Allison, came down to greet us took us on a tour of their entire property. We had lunch with them. They brought us up to their art studio. I'm sitting there now like seeing all these unbelievable masterpieces that he's working on. He's opening up all these books. He had a book that Terence McKenna had given him, which showed how uh, in ancient caves with, um, you know, ancient cave art, how there are all these pictures of mushrooms on the wall from thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was just so nice and so loving to me. Um, and you shared smoke with him yeah. <laughs> because you brought your vaporizer, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, well, not at that time. That's okay. a little bit later. But, you know, I was just so moved by how warm he was. And it, yeah. here it was just a spontaneous experience to show up. So, you know, a year goes by and um, I finally hear from him and said, all right, well, it's, it's your time to, to do your commission. But at that time, I was going through my divorce. And I'm like, Alex, look, man, I, I just I'm going through divorce. I can't be spending money on a, you know a visionary piece of art right now. I have, um, you know, I have lawyer bills and, you know, all, all the things that come with, with a divorce. And he was just 
him and his wife were just so kind. I mean, I was so so broken at the time, and he would check up on me and email me on Christmas, and just you know say how you doing, this and that. So you know, the divorce goes by. I meet my new wife Kara in you know this very like kind of magical way, and then I say, "Hey, Alex, let's get together." So then I drive down to his house and I bring the volcano and I bring he you know he he likes to smoke cannabis, but. Um, I hope he doesn't mind saying that, but I'm sure he oh, doesn't. He, I think everybody yeah. in the world knows yeah. that. <laughs> um, and so, I, but I, you know, he had never seen this whole volcano set up. So yeah. I'm bringing like the organic tobacco. I'm bringing the great cannabis from my brother's biodynamic farm and all the herbs and the tinctures. And I'm just blowing his mind in, in his art studio. <laughs> and we're having the best time. And, you know, I had just gone through this crazy divorce. And, you know, you had made a piece of art to me, for me that, that had a, a quote from Jung on it that said, no tree can grow to heaven. Until its roots grow to hell, reach to hell, yeah, reach to hell. So I, I show him that, and and I and I talk about an image of a man reaching up to the sky and the other half reaching down to the ground, and he's like, "You're not going to believe this." And he pulls out a notebook that he had from like 1998 because he keeps every sketch he's ever done, right? And it was literally that picture. You can look this up online. It's called The Great Turn, and there's a sketch of a man reaching up to the sky and half the body reaching down. And it's yeah. like. We have to do this. Yeah. So a year goes by and um, I don't hear from him. And he calls me and he goes, you're not going to believe this. You know, I did this sketch and the band Tool wants to pick it up for their world tour and make the great turn, the big image for, you know, the stage and for their posters and for their t-shirts. And basically the, the, a whole album that, you know, it was the first album uh, that they had done in 10 years. I think it was called Fear Inoculum. The first album they had done in 10 years. And they used the Great Turn figure for this album. And Which so, was your art that you were commissioned, you commissioned him to I do. I commissioned him. What was funny was he hadn't even done the piece of art yet. He had just done a sketch. So he, we, him and I were laughing. He's like, this is going to be the most famous piece of art in the world that I haven't even done yet. Because <laughs> they were able to take off of the original sketch and make a digital image of it. And so If I could just interject. Yeah. You know, patient people listening don't know this, but when I'm working with people that are going through challenges, I will connect to their soul and ask, what should I paint for them that will support them? And I remember, I can't remember, I think that's what I did for you. Of course, I, yeah. I, I created this piece of art because you were really, you were, you know. Yeah, I have it up in my house. You, I see it all the time. You were in hell, you know, you were going, you were taking a deep tour of hell. And so, you know, because I study Jung so much, I, I just had this thought I got to paint something for Jason to inspire him so I painted this tree whose roots reach to hell the yeah. bottom of the mandala and its top reaches to the top to heaven and I I shared this with you to say look you know you might be in hell right now but you're also growing up at the same pace so hang in there and so it's amazing how that one concept that one piece of art that came to me by connecting to your soul ultimately triggered off a connection to Alex Gray, which turned out to be a, a world-famous piece of art. It's now. amazing, yeah. And so, you know, just to finish the story, then COVID happens. Yes. And he's holed up in his in his house for, you know, a year and a half, like most of us were. And now he's working on this masterpiece. It's a 10-foot by 8-foot, I think, um, monster, larger-than-life piece of art. And um, it's going to be showcased in his museum called Entheon that's going to be opening up in the, in the next few months for the whole world to see and be inspired by. And what's so interesting is we really are in the great turn right yeah, we now. We are. This a piece of art 
it was precognitive yeah. for the times. It's so relevant. You know, this opportunity, are we going to go down into the hell yeah. or are we going to rise up? Um, you know, and both polarities are there and the opportunity and the choice is ours. Yeah. And, you know, the greater the magnitude between the negative and the positive, the greater the power or potential there is, right? You know, what, what produces power in electrical circuit is the differential between the negative and the positive. If either of them goes flat or disappears, if you take the red wire off your battery, it won't start your car. If you take the black wire, it won't start. So it, it is the differential of polarity between the negative and the positive that produces the potential for current, right? Sure. Yeah, it reminds me of Tantra. Yeah. And it also reminds me of the things you've told me about when you, know, when you look back at your life and you look at the events of your life, did you learn more from the great joyous times or did you learn more from the troubling times? And yeah. I think everyone knows that we learn a lot more from these really painful, the, the painful polarity side of life. Yes. Hi, everybody. You know, Symbiotica just came out with a new product that I got to test, and I want to tell you about it because a lot of you are like me. you got some aches and pains. You know, I've been around for a while and been thrown off horses, motorcycles, and all sorts of things, and there's an area in my body that hurts quite a lot due to having two discs blown out, and that's my lower cervical spine. And Shervin just showed up to visit me with his beautiful partner, Jamie, and handed me this bottle of Ultimate Pain Balm. And he said, Paul, try this. And I put it on my neck and within seconds, my pain was gone. But even better, I felt like all my chakras are opening up and I'm being tapped into nature. So, Shervine, what did you do? How did you do that? Because this is really good. It smells amazing. I mean, I don't really have words. I, I, I might just go mute here because I'm smelling it and it's taking me into some mystical journey. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look look at the color of it. That it's is beautiful. It looks that, like a, a, a turquoise. What turquoise? Maybe. Yeah, kind of. That's a that's called blue tansy, uh-huh. which is a very very rare uh, flower. Yeah. And we use the essence of blue tansy. It goes with pain relief. Mm-hmm. Blue is cooling. This is an organic artisan blend of some of the most powerful topical medicinals in the world, and its ability to penetrate and create immediate effect is is just absolutely stunning yeah and it's acting on an energetic level immediately it, it really does and you know for s- people that are having breathing issues children that are having breathing mm-hmm. breathing issues instead of the vix rub which is filled yeah. with chemicals and all kinds yeah. of stuff you put that on the chest put it anywhere on the body sometimes i put it a little bit under my nose it yeah. opens up my sinuses mm-hmm. it's very potent so, yes so someone like you know men we don't want to like Put that on our fingers and put it in our private area. If you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, you have a hot rod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it's a journey. It's never been done before at this level. Mm-hmm. It's sitting in Myron glass, just like you know most of our stuff. Yeah. And I'm very, very, I'm very happy with where we're at with this. People are having the best reviews, and it's a go-to for me every day. So it's great for muscle pain, joint pain, anything else? Burns, cuts, anything. Any- restricted breathing. Yep, restricted breathing. Put it on the chest. Headaches. A lot of people are getting cluster headaches because they're not mineralized properly or they're out of alignment. This can open up those senses and allow clarity. I look at it as it opens up the highways of life from within. Plus, it's hard to get a good pain balm that's all organic. Absolutely. It's it's nice to know you can put something on your body that's clean. I can tell you, I tried it. I'm not easy to impress. And I'm sitting here right now with no pain in my neck and this feeling of fullness of energy and uh, it's definitely worth trying if you want to 
a little backup in your toolkit for when things are aching or if you have some old chronic stuff like I do. So go to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com and on checkout, use the code CHECK15 to get your 15% Living 4D discount. You will find this very impressive. I sure did. This is your medicine journey. There it is. You and I have done a lot of work with shamanism. We've done countless hours of rattling and drumming and chanting and singing and Tai Chi. We've done loads of Tai Chi and um, lots of plant medicine ceremonies with specific intentions and very careful setups, usually a four-day process. Yep. We're on, we're on one right now. Yep, we are on one right now. Day three. We're on day three of a four-day ceremony. And so there's a whole, we won't go into the whole thing because I, I don't think that's important right now, but uh, through doing hundreds of ceremonies and studying with other medicine carriers and shaman, and I, I saw the things that were getting people in trouble and many people would come to me in trouble. And, you know, so I, I studied a lot and, and let my soul guide me to developing a very carefully planned system so that people don't get damaged during plant medicine ceremonies. And so you and I have been working that system for a long time. But one of the things that happened with you is you really developed this genuine interest in shamanism. And, you know, you started out singing a song and, yeah. and, and I think, wasn't White Eagle the one that really got you into yeah. that type of singing? Yeah. Well, I actually had a really interesting experience in, in, uh, Solterra in, uh, oh, that's right. in yeah. Costa Rica. Yeah. So, um, you know, this was, this was right before the beginning of COVID around February, 2020. And, uh, my wife, Kara and I had planned to go to Solterra in Costa Rica to do an ayahuasca ceremony. And from the time that we, we scheduled the trip to the time it was about to go, we got, she got pregnant with my son, Kidra, uh, who's now almost two years old. So we called up Solterra and said, look, you know, Kara's pregnant. We probably shouldn't come down. You know, obviously it doesn't make sense for a pregnant woman to go on a deep four-day ayahuasca journey. And um, they said, oh, let us talk to, to, the, to the shamans about this. And the shamans came back and said, look, in our culture, Mostly, the, the people in the ceremonies often don't even take the medicine. Often, the medicine is just reserved for the shamans or the maestros, and the real, the real healing is from the ikaros, from the music yes. that are channeled from doing these long dietas, you know, these long diets of plants that they go out into the jungle until they learn the songs of the plants and they come back and they can transmit them to um, to the to the people coming to the ceremony. So there was a particular woman, a maestra, a Peruvian shaman that was in the ceremony who had the most beautiful voice. And I just connected so deeply with her. And I really learned a powerful uh, teaching in that moment that what I brought to her when she would sing to me, because you know they go around the circle and sing to each person once. Yeah. What I brought to her, my intensity and my love and my openness was what she was able to bring back to me. Yes. And so I saw that this, 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 there was this relationship and I, this music just got inside of my heart and opened me up. And I remember the next day going over to her and saying to her, look, you know, I just want to thank you so much for, for bringing me to that, that height of, with your beautiful music. And she goes, well, I want to thank you because I couldn't have gone there unless you were willing to go with me. That's great. And this, this really taught me a lot about the relationship that we can have with great spirit or with our teachers is that they, that they, they can only meet us for what we're ready to bring yes. and what we're ready for. That's what's allowed us to go so far. Yeah. 
And, you know, just to finish off that story, you know, it was quite interesting because being in that ceremony, you know, I'd been in many ceremonies with you and, and with other people, um, mostly with you. And, um, you know, I thought I was quite prepared for that one, being that, you know, I, I was had years of experience and a lot of preparation and I did my art and my tarot and my journaling and my prayers and my intentions and my diet and my purification. But being in there with my unborn son mm. in the ceremony, that was a completely different level. I went in there with the intention of saying, you know, dear great spirit, please help me remove any obstacles that will prevent me from fathering this son, you know, to the best of my ability. And man, was that a, did I get what I asked for? Because I was, you know, yeah. I had such a powerful experience in there. I had this experience of, which you've talked about many times, where I could feel the, the ecstasy and the joy of the world and also simultaneously the pain. I had this experience of what it was like for a woman to give birth, wow. where I could feel like the pure joy and the bliss, but also this like this feeling of being pulled apart. Yeah. And so, it was just this very powerful experience. But when I got out of there... I realized I retouched my earliest dreams of wanting to be of drumming and music. And that's when I met White Eagle Medicine Woman um, from the Whirling Rainbow Foundation and her music, the native music, and that style of drumming, this feminine style of drumming, where instead of being like kind of more of a masculine, you know, uh, Michael Harner or, you know, some of these more traditional beats, it was this soft heartbeat rhythm, this feminine beat. And I just exploded with, with, with my voice. And for the last two years, I've been studying singing and studying Native American uh, music, and it's just Native American flute and many other instruments as well. And it's just been a complete joy for me. I mean, you know, for anyone listening, two years ago, I never thought I could sing a lick. Mm -hmm. And here I am, you know, being brave enough to sing on your podcast for maybe 50,000 people. So, Thank you. <laughs> you know, any, it's just, you know, when you, when you put your heart and mind to something and you follow your joy and you follow your bliss, you can do anything. I mean, that's, that's what that's It's so about. true, you know. That's why I like Jerry Wesh's quote, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. And I think most people let fear be their seeing eye dog, and it never makes a good seeing eye dog. You know, it's just like, I've always found that my greatest growth potential comes whenever I feel afraid about something, that means I need to stand very still and face it and say, what is it? What is it? And as you know very well, most fear is false evidence appearing real. We, 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 we. We have a really, you know, it's like my podcast with Paul Levy. He says we are very good at tricking ourselves, but usually tricking ourselves into what we don't want instead of what we do want. And I think that, you know, if you're afraid to sing, you should probably sing. If you're afraid to dance, the greatest growth potential and freedom for you is going to come from dancing. If you're afraid of good sex, then you should start pursuing some good sex. Uh, if and you're, those are likely the things you're dreaming about at night, right? Yeah, exactly. You, whatever you're... Whenever you're missing, soul yeah. will give you dreams about. Yeah, Young would call that a compensatory dream. It's like yeah. what you need in your life to call in is probably, you know, what's secondary to you is what you need. And it's likely coming to you in all different ways at night and during the day. And it's just paying attention to those things. Yeah, it's all and around And bringing you. them in. Totally. Or your friends keep saying you got you should come to this drum circle. You and then you come to this drum circle and someone's saying, "Oh, you know, I can't drum. I can't drum." Well, you're certainly not going to learn to drum sitting at home watching, you know, reality television. Yeah. Then the natives would say, if, if you can walk, you can dance. Yeah. If amen. you can talk, you can sing. They say, sing for your life. And I, and I truly have found that singing and expressing myself in that way has brought me so much life. 
I mean, if you yeah. if you if you're having a bad day and you start singing anything for thirty seconds, a minute, five minutes, it's amazing how much that can transform your whole experience. Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Don't you know? Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Doctor Happy is the dreamer. Don't you know? Dr. Happy sets your rhythms, your rhythm sets your pressure, and your rhythms and your pressure send your flow, and your rhythms and your pressure make your flow. Ho, ho, aho, baby. Yeah. Dr. Happy's the chief of all the doctors, because if you aren't happy enough to love and take care of yourself, you're going to pay somebody else to do it. Yeah. And they're not going to do it the way yeah. you should do it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's always a codependent relationship that's usually yeah. expensive. You know, the funny thing is, you know, you know this as well as anyone on the planet, how many times I've been accused of running a cult. Yeah. Haven't I? A lot. A lot. And I say, well, you obviously don't know what a cult is because cult leaders control you and do not teach you anything about freedom. It's all about doing what the cult leader says, be it Jim Jones or Charlie Manson or any of these guys, or God forbid, a lot of churches. But I teach people how to be free. Yeah, you taught me how to take care of myself and, and to think for myself. And, I mean, there's nothing, yeah. that, well, I don't know what would be a cult about that. You know, you, 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 never, you, you never once said, believe me, because this is my experience. You said, this is my experience, but try it for yourself. Yep. I tell people all the time, don't believe a word I say, go try it for yourself. Yeah. If it doesn't work, then tell me. If you and find it, something better, you can become my teacher. Exactly. And and so you, you did a lot of work with White Eagle and you went through her a lot of her training. Mm -hmm. You also worked with I forgot the the Tai Chi master's yeah. name. That what, was that you, was that you did that for quite a while. Well, I'm still with him. We, we we've wow. been together for about 13 years, and his name is William C. C. Chen. Mm -hmm. He's in his 80s, and he teaches Tai Chi in New York City. And um, you know, I, I studied with him as passionately as I studied with you. I, I wanted to learn the inner arts of movement. You mm -hmm. know, especially when you told me to take two years off from exercise, I mm -hmm. said, "Okay, well, I have to find something to do." So I I want to learn working in. Yeah. So I went and I studied Tai Chi with him, all the Tai Chi forms, um, all the applications, how to throw punches with you know Tai Chi uh, mechanics, how to walk down the street with Tai Chi mechanics, mm. how to do sword form. And I recently, in the last couple of months, received my, my master's certificate uh, Great. In, in, his, in his training. And we still study together um, about every two weeks. Now, now it's online because I live in upstate New York. But, you know, anybody who, who people, elders really inspire me. People, yeah. people who are doing what they love to do and they and you know what what I love about him what I love about you and what I love about all of my teachers that I study with from White Eagle to Jeffrey Armstrong to Dr. Kareem is that they're continuously learning. Yes. They're they're not stopping, you know. Every time I come back to class, William Chen is telling me, "Oh, this is what I figured out this week." Yeah. And I'm like, "You've been doing this for 75 years." And he's <laughs> and he's still figuring out how to express him what he's what's going moving through him while he's doing tai chi uh, to me in in better and better ways and that just so inspires me and so we just have such a, a love affair such a joy of practicing together of exploring together and you know just perfecting this form and i had master fong ha you see he, yeah he blew my doors wide open beautifully and simply you know i went to fong ha because 
I saw that there was a real disease in our culture with, you know, because I worked with so many elite athletes who were just burning themselves out constantly and mainlining Red Bull and coffee and every other damn thing you can think of and coming to me with gym bags full of pills and, you know, the crazy shit. And, and I, I had worked with a number of Tai Chi teachers and so-called masters, and I found even they were stuck in their head. And because I had a background in inner arts from self-realization fellowship meditation, and, and I'd studied Osho's dynamic meditations and everything I could get, I've got Osho's entire library, as you know, it's sitting right next to you. And so, because I had worked, well, what I did is I went to Fong Hao as part of writing my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, because I had this concept of taking the principles of Tai Chi, and I'd read multiple books on the on the development of Tai Chi, where it came from, and how it got formed. And so I was really wanting to find a true master of Tai Chi. And it was just by happen chance, I was doing what I normally do, traveling the world, looking through bookstores, you know, the best bookstores I can find. And I just found myself in the martial arts section, and there was this three-volume set on the history of the great martial arts masters, you know, going back for a long, long time. Sure. And I'm looking through this book, and it shows the lineage of Tai Chi masters, and right up to current was Master Fong Ha. And I look in there, and it says that he lived in San Francisco, California. And I thought, holy shit, that's not far away from me. I can get there in a you know, couple of hours on an airplane, uh, you know, drive to the airport, jump on the plane, I'll be there in an hour. So I searched him out, called him up, and said, you know, I'm working on writing this book. And I explained, you know, how I thought people were just burning out, and he totally agreed. And so I said, I'm looking to create a series of exercises that correlate with the energy centers of the body so that I can custom design my book so that people can identify where they're most out of balance and then know what inner exercises or work. I, I developed the concept work in, as you know, because everyone's so working out, which is Yang. And so he, he was really excited. And, and so I, I did a series of gongs with him and, and, went deeper and deeper. But by the time I got through my second gong practice, my clairvoyance, all my voices, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience was so strong. It was like overwhelming. I really was like, I was being blown open so much that I, that I was like tapping into the collective unconscious. And it was quite shocking at times. It was stressful. And so I, I long story made short, I had to work on a deal with my soul to only show me what it wanted me to show me, wanted me to see because I was meant to help somebody. Right. But the point being is, you know, when you get in contact with a real master, it doesn't take long. I mean, I, I worked with Fong Ha probably for a year and he just gave me assignments to do. And then by that time, after three gongs, so that's 300 days, I had got the information and, and I had the evidence that I needed that these simple exercises were very powerful and was able to then, you know, develop the work in concept to the point that I could take it out to the world and, and know I had practiced it enough and mastered it enough that I knew for sure what I was talking about and could feel good about it. And that's 
why you know one it's one of the reasons why when I've worked with you and many others I always say look if there's something you're passionate about find out someone who's really good at it that's how I built my whole knowledge base I didn't build it going to a school I built it traveling around the world saying okay who's the best at this who's the best at that and I spent you know probably the first 20 years of my career living on airplanes almost every weekend going to some seminar from you know, the Czech Republic to wherever I had to go to learn. And I think, you know, that you've really had the same experience. And yeah. Yeah. If I could just say something about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's one of the biggest diseases in our culture is that we, we get to a certain age and we, we, uh, we, we get set in our belief systems. That's dangerous. Look at most of our senior citizens and, yeah. you know, the people that should be elders. They are stuck in the same belief systems they had probably from childhood. Yep. And they're unwilling to grow. And that rigidity, that unwillingness to change is really a sickness. It is. I mean, one of the things that I learned and I, I was so uh, inspired by you is, is, is essentially what you just said. You know, if anyone has come to your library and you open up any one of your books, I mean, I'm talking about the most incredible notes that just blow my mind. <laughs> Red pens, yellow pens, black pens, notes in the, in the margins notes uh, in the table of contents. I mean, sticky notes in every single book, I'm th thousands of books, <laughs> notebook after notebook after notebook after notebook of notes that you've taken. And, you know, for me, I, I, I picked up on that and said, wow, you know, this is really about never, never stopping learning, never stopping exploring and just having this thirst for knowledge. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I, I just have seeked out, just like you said, the you know, I've had a privilege of having the f financial success from my early part of my life, but I've seeked out, I mean, how, how many countless people have I heard on your podcast that I said, hey, Paul, can you give me that email? Yeah. You know, from James Tunney to Laurel Erica to yep. Jeffrey Armstrong. Yeah. Um, the list goes on. Dr. Kareem, but you you knew him before, but I remember uh, you, you- James Wanless. Yeah. Uh, I remember years ago when Kara was, she came across something that she was asking me about um, geometry and- energy and i said well you might want to look into this biogeometry stuff yeah. and then you got into the training angie went through the training yeah and you know you and i know that dr cream and i got together and well, that's totally changed changed our life actually kara got in first and when i saw how much this was how powerful it was i said i need to take this training myself yeah then we got the house that we're, we're currently in um, we had a, a practitioner come out, actually three biogeometry practitioners. It's very advanced level of, of bio, biogeometry beyond where, I, where I'm at to be a practitioner to go into someone's home and do it at that level where you're correcting all the grid lines and, you know, really creating the highest level of uh, BG3. And um, when I felt the effect of that, I said, oh, my God, this is like nothing I'd ever experienced. You know, yeah. as you know, I was living in New York City in, in you know, years prior and when I got first turned on to the whole, the poison of the EMFs and the environment, which yeah. I, had, I knew nothing about, I had a building biologist come to my house yeah. and take a reading in my bedroom. And I had 100,000, you know, megahertz or whatever. The, I don't know what the- I the, think you told me at the time was 26,000 times the safe limit. Yeah. You, you, were, you were, I remember you were having some health problems and your kids and, care, uh, and Jackie. Yeah. And I said, Jason, you need to look around to see if there's any um, cell phone towers yeah. near you. Well, when I looked around, I saw about five pointed right at my bedroom. Right. And when the building biologist came in, he said, like, you know, this is like beyond, beyond 
unsafe, you know? Because I saw all the symptoms of EMF stress yeah. on you. you and, you know, know and, you, and when you're living in New York City or you're living in a condo building or anywhere in the world and you turn on and you're looking for a Wi-Fi. And, and you there's see 50 like, of them. Yeah, 25 plus. It's off the off the phone. Yeah. You can't even, it doesn't even have the, uh, enough space for all the Wi-Fis. Yeah. So, you know, just, just to kind of wrap up the story, we had to move out of our, you know, penthouse apartment on Bond Street and totally renovate the whole place to shield it, like become a Faraday cage. Yeah. It was like a freaking half a million dollar plus renovation to put shielding paint on the walls and then put something over that, put film on the windows, put the shielding uh, material under the carpets, do all of these different things, you know, have switches to turn off the power, have switches to turn off the Wi-Fi. And when I met biogeometry, and when I realized that through the use of simple shapes like a cube in your house yeah. or a little L90 sticker that you could put on your Wi-Fi unit. And, yeah. and then you could, for $12, $16, you know, or $200 for the home kit, you could revolutionize your experience and actually not have to block anything, yeah. but bring up the level of BG3 so high that you're just kind of resonating with that. And, and the other stuff is, is just noise. So, you know, right now we're working with Dr. Kareem and Dorea to build our whole entire house. Yeah, that we're building from the ground up, from the design of the house to the orientation of the house on the land to the shape of the driveway. Every single building material that's going into our house, we're keeping so that they could harmonize in a material wheel mm. to bring all BG3 to every material in the house. It's wild. You know, the placement of the garden. Um, we were on FaceTime with Dr. Cream and Dorea while they were sitting in their living room and, and trying to pinpoint the exact place to put our well so that we could hit BG3 water. Wow. You know, so it's just been such an amazing relationship working with them. I mean, I really just love them. And I know that, you know, you've grown such a beautiful relationship with them as well. It's well, been, you know, been so fantastic. Dr. Cream is honestly, of all the people I've met in the world, I have to say he is, I, I can't think of anybody that's wiser, deeper, more spiritually connected, more honest, more loving. I mean, I would also add generous to that. I mean, he's such a big heart. He's such just, a big heart. He's just like, I mean, he's really an incarnated Buddha. He reminds me his energy is like Penny. He's just capable of almost anything. And Angie's gone through their advanced training and she's uh, doing the work to, because we're going to bring biogeometry into the check institute. Yeah, that's going to be great. So Angie's going to be the head of that department. So she has to finish their training, which they're waiting to get the right people to do this final training uh, and then she'll be approved to start teaching it through the institute but many people from the czech institute because of my podcasts with dr cream and doria have gone through biogeometry training uh, biogeometry training and have i've had nothing but amazing results and angie did biogeometry on this entire 14 acre property on every bit of it my big house the my my office the gym all of it yeah i was going to say it's been incredible to to come here from before that mm. till now and experience the difference yeah. in the energy of the place. I mean, the energy was already very high. It's a beautiful land and a great place. And, you know, your soul was uh, gravitated to here. So, you yeah. know, of course it was wonderful energy. Um, we're in the beautiful mountains in California, but to raise the, the level of BG3 with that level of intention where, you know, Angie was telling me that each tree she's putting into the ground, all yeah. the fruit trees she's planting, she's, you know, object rotating so that it's in the right um, rotation versus the land to have the, the most harmonious uh, BG3. And she was telling me earlier today that they're producing fruit like two years before they're supposed to be. They're yes. already like, you know, they're just the life, the, the amount of life force 
when you're working with the laws of nature. Yeah. When you realize that you are your environment and you're working in reciprocity with the laws of nature, it's amazing what can what can be produced. Um, it's just incredible. You know, my my gardener Freddie, who's very experienced, he's worked this land for twenty years. This he's been caretaking this property for twenty years. At first, you know, he would be working with Angie, and he would just go ahead and do stuff without you know, following what she wanted him to do based on biogeometry. So Angie would kind of get irritated and say, Freddie, look, there's a reason I'm doing this. There's a science to this. And of course, you know, he's planted a million plants. And he's like, what is this girl talking about, right? <laughs> right. So Angie told me when one day he was down there in the orchard and he came to Angie, goes, look at this. Like, these trees have only been in the ground for like, you know, maybe a month and there's already like this buds of fruit coming yeah. off and they're there's growing like crazy. And she said, you know, it was, Freddie had this realization that, wow, whatever she's doing, it really works. So it kind of just yeah. blew his mind, you know? What about tasting the water? I mean, the, the water, wa the yeah. water on your property and the water on my property being yeah. BG3 water. Yeah. Um, which is a great metaphor for life. You know, we've talked about these digging these deep wells. Yes. And hitting this sort of sacred water. Yeah. You know, really going deep into a practice instead of like having a lot of little shallow kind of expeditions. But when you yeah. go deep in the right spot and you work with the laws of nature, you hit you hit uh, an oasis, really. Yeah, you hit uh, you hit the love of nature and life. Hi, everybody. This is Paul Check. I come to give you a little message. I want to share some empathy. I know how hard it is to change your behavior when you got some bad diet and lifestyle habits and you look at that coffee or you look at the sugar or you look at the junk food that you're in love with and you reach for because it it's quick and easy and you keep telling yourself, I need to change, I need to change, I need to change. But eventually the system breaks down and you get motivated by the pain teacher. But what if I gave you an opportunity to try something that would help you start the process of behavior change and enjoy it and look forward to it? Well, I have something for you. It's Organifi's Red Juice. It tastes great and it's loaded with nutrition and lots of vitality for you. And I got Drew Canoli here to tell us why it works so well for behavior change and increasing your life force and your vitality. Drew, what's some, what's the magic in that red juice? Because everybody seems to love it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. Sometimes when we're craving things, mm. it's hard to switch a, a habit, yeah. a behavior. Yeah. So I looked at that fundamental fact and I'm like, well, what could we create that people could crave mm. that actually tasted great? Mm -hmm. And that's when red juice was born for Good. energy. So between the berries, the blueberries, the raspberries, mm. the strawberries, yes. the best quality organic glyphosate residue free, yes. the rhodiola and the cordyceps, yes. we were onto something. We sweetened Definitely. it with a dash of monk fruit mm. and literally I started to come to life. When I drank this, I had yeah. so much more energy than I would mm -hmm. normally have. Stamina went through the roof. Yeah. I actually shaved off 45 seconds off my mild time drinking red juice before I ran. Wow. Talk about an uptick in nitric oxide production in your body, right? <laughs> Something went up. Yeah. <laughs> we know speed Actually, <laughs> it's funny you say that because I get messages all the time about sexy time. Oh, and yeah? When people drink red juice. Something's like, going up. Something's going up. And I get so many messages about that. That's funny you brought that up. Well, but, we hope it's the flag these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you're looking for more energy and stamina and something that tastes great to where you could shift your cravings, yes. keeping your hunger and your energy in check. And feel good about it. And feel good about it. And you might even break down a little bit and wander back. But if you've got 
some natural sweetness and a lot of nutrition, you probably, if you're honest with yourself, won't need as many chips or as many mm-hmm. of whatever your little thing is, yeah. but you can do this naturally and easily. And that's what I'm all about, naturally and easily and honestly. And, you know, it all starts with being honest with yourself. So if you want a great tasting behavioral switch technique that's really good for you, that has a lot of knock-on benefits for you and your whole family, try Red Juice. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And because I love you Living 4D listeners so much, I've organized for you to get a 20% discount with the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. And that's as fast as I can say that. I love you guys. Enjoy your Red Juice. One of the things that I wrote down to talk to you about, because this is really an interesting little soul guidance thing. You know, when you and Jackie moved out of Manhattan and you went to uh, um, the mountains where she had her breakdown, it was quite marvelous that you were, what, 400 meters from a Buddhist temple. Yeah. Yeah, that was quite amazing. So when we moved to upstate New York, we we had looked all over for a long time for a place. And, you know, I was checking out everything for mold and for EMFs, and we just could not find a house that worked for us. Finally, the, the, the one that we found was this small little Japanese house sitting on this amazing waterfall, um, which I learned a lot about living on a waterfall. It could be very intense for, mm-hmm. for women in particular, This with the water just rushing under a house. Yeah. It really just sweeps everything out of you, which can be very cleansing, but also can be uh, provide a lot of upheaval in your life. Yeah. But we live right next to a 400-acre um, Buddhist uh, retreat center, the headquarters for Wan Buddhism, which is a, a Korean sort of Zen Buddhism that had its headquarters in the United States right next to my house. And if I didn't have those monks who I went and meditated with every single morning when she was going through that, when my kids, you know, having to deal with my kids, I wouldn't probably, would not have made it. They were such a stabilizing effect on me sitting there in silence with them every morning, meditating, uh, practicing, and learning. Um, and, you know, it's just such an incredible synchronicity that Great Spirit, you know, put me in this really impossible spot, but at the same time gave me all the tools to pull out of it. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of something Osho said once. He said, when I die, I'm not going to go to heaven, I'm going to go to hell. That's where all the action is. And uh you know, you've had some trips to hell, and, and look at how parallel, you know, each of these trips to hell has brought you into contact with other masters and and other amazing opportunities that ultimately became intimately important in your life that not only helped you grow, but has helped you touch countless numbers of peoples, and now you got all sorts of podcasters wanting to talk to you, and you're working on your process psychology uh, completion and, and, and you're doing a lot of process psychology and, you know, studying Arnold Mandel's system. And Arnold Mandel's a freaking genius, bar none. You know, there's yeah, not, not too many Arnold Mandel's. I mean, he's right up there with Ibrahim Karim. Yeah. And so th- that was, you know, quite an amazing yeah, thing. All of, all, of these, all of these obstacles have led to, you know, higher and higher heights. Yeah. I mean, sitting here today, I, I, couldn't have, I couldn't be here. I couldn't have the empathy and compassion that I have, the understanding or the, the inner resilience or the strength without having gone through those, those huge um, extremes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, um, 
tell us about your time. You you did some work with Ramdas too. What was that like? Well, you know, when, when you were mentioning before about meeting these these great teachers, you know, I, I was thinking that you know sometimes it could just be one moment with them yes. that can have a lifetime of effect. Yeah, and I I, I only had one. Um, virtual meeting with Ram Dass, but it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. I mean, he was, you know, it was about a year or two before he died. And, um, you know, I, I was on Skype with him late at night because I think he's in Hawaii. He was in Hawaii and I was in New York. So I was five hours ahead of him or six hours ahead of him. And I, I said to him, look, I'm going through this really horrible time with my, my ex-wife, with my wife at the time. You know, can you give me any guidance? And he gave me this like 10-minute amazing download about karma yoga, mm. how making, making, working with her, take, how, how to loving her, loving my children, how that was my yoga, how to make that, you know, that be my spiritual practice. And it was really profound and stays with me today. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for having, having had him touch me in that way. Yeah. One of the things that I, I'd love to, hear you talk about too and just dialogue a little bit about is you know a lot of people think i'm crazy because i use tarot and i get attacked by christians all the time for tarot and they say it's the work of the devil and every other damn thing anything that goes against the book is the work of the devil you know you remember in our ceremony yesterday i had a a quote pop into my head if you want to meet the devil pick a fight with jesus (laughs) guarantee to get you to the devil every time and so, um, yeah, I think you've had some great quotes too about Tarot, about, you know, I don't remember exactly, but anyone who's afraid to look at Tarot is really just afraid to look into themselves or yes. something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think Tarot is very powerful because as you know, it's, it's based on the 22 key archetypes. It's really the hero's journey yeah. that Joseph Campbell brought in 22 steps but those archetypes are inevitably active in us all day long, 24 hours. They're kind of like, just like you got 26 letters of the alphabet and you can't make a sentence or write a story without the alphabet. Tarot is like the alphabet of the psyche. You know, it's the symbols that connect to meanings like the magician. It's the mind. Well, what are you not doing that involves your mind? The empress is the mother. Well, none of us would be here without a mother. And if you can't mother yourself, you certainly don't have a four-doctor practice, etc., right? So why tarot is so important for me is because, as you know, a lot of people have a hard time getting out of their head to connect with their soul, and they're so disconnected from their heart, they don't have a way in. So I teach people to use tarot and let their soul choose the cards and have a specific question like, what, what is my day going to be today? What do I need to know to live and love fully today? Or um, we're entering a ceremony. So I say, okay, I want you to draw one card for each day of our ceremony, or we're going to go into ceremony today. I want you to draw six cards, and that will show you what's going to happen at each point through the ceremony, and that will then tell me as the medicine man, what I need to be aware of to support you and what you need to be aware of so I can recommend to you how you can use your heart, your mind, and your soul connection to navigate the challenges that are likely to come up because the tarot is going to tell you what you're going to face. And so the point is, is that by having this system of archetypes, it gives you your soul a language to talk to you. 
right? Because it takes a long time before you can get past yes, no questions. You got to be able to be uh, clairsentient or clairvoyant. Like I can talk to my soul and my soul can show me what looks like a movie in my head, or I can say to my soul, what do you think I should do now? And just listen and, and hear a voice, which is the voice of the soul. But it took me years and years of work to uh, uh, an inner development to get to that place. But anybody can get out a tarot duck, shuffle the cards, hold an intention, and their soul can guide them to the right card. So I, I would love to just hear from you. How has tarot uh, been influential in your life and how, how are you using it? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a few things that it brings up. One is is, is knowing what your birth card is, right? Yeah. Your life card. So for me, I'm the lovers, yeah. number six. Yeah. And, you know, until I understood that card and understood that that card is really about learning not only relationships, which has been the big spiritual journey of my life yeah. and still remains to be, relationship to myself, relationship to my intimate partners, my children in the world, but also this balancing of extremes. Polarity. This polarity, this masculine and feminine. And so, you know, I've been 330 pounds. I've been 160 pounds. <laughs> I've had the most wild trading highs and the most wild trading lows. I've had, you know, the extreme beautiful love and then the extreme divorce. Yeah. And so for me, I realized like, that's my life path. That's why I'm here is to explore these streams, the extremes and to find the middle way, yeah. to find the balance. Mm -hmm. So once I had that idea of, okay, this is my card and this is why I'm here, that really gave me a lot of guidance into my life. Yeah. The second thing is this, this practice of divination mm -hmm. and the practice of ritual, right? I mean, when you go to see a shaman, it's when did you stop playing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop dancing? And when did you stop sitting in ceremony? Or, or in, enjoy, when did you stop enjoying being alone with yourself? Yeah. And so, you know, th th this whole idea of daily practices, you know, whether or not it's checking your morning heart rate or, you know, taking a daily cold shower or doing the tarot, it's having these times in your day where you stop what you're doing and you check in with yourself yes. and you go inside for guidance. And, you know, whether or not it's like, you know, throwing the I Ching or doing biogeometry or, or dousing or tarot, it's like having this practice where you're trying to capture the momentary field. There's so much information yeah. in the field that's going on all the time. And if we just take a moment to center ourselves, we can connect with a part of the larger self yeah. that has much more information than we can actually think of with our conscious and, mind. And to do that, you got to let your ego go. You know, you can't do that with your ego. You have to take a moment, hold your intention, and let yourself be guided from the inside. And every time you do that, you put your ego in the back seat. And as you do that, haven't you noticed, for example, that using tarot and all these practices shows you things that your ego could never have told you? And lo and behold, there it is, right? You, oh, it's just like doing the art we did yesterday, yes. right? You start <laughs> to see all the things that, yes. that you never could have known. And so, yeah, and that's, and that's a big thing. It's, it's, you know, one of the biggest things you've taught me is how to learn when my ego is interpret, you know, impersonating my soul, <laughs> right? Because the ego is incredibly brilliant. And we've talked about people who've said, oh, Paul, you know, my soul told me to eat a box of Oreos or my soul told me to do, you know. DMT every day. <laughs> yeah, seven days a week DMT or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, really kind of getting still and, and, and developing that practice of knowing what, 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 what does it feel like inside of you when, when your soul is giving you a response, a yes or a no, yeah. or when the card feels right to you. Um, that's, that's invaluable. Let's let's show our paintings. Yeah, uh, you know, for those of you that aren't seeing the video, you can watch it on my YouTube podcast channel. 
um, uh, can you see, uh, can he, can you, um, see the painting? I think you just so. hold it to that camera. So this is our ceremony painting. So we, I always use art to enter ceremony because I'm an art therapist and I can read the art. So before I take someone in ceremony, I have to decide, okay, what medicine's the best one? What's the right amount of medicine to get the, a positive effect? And so Jason showed me the beginnings of this and I thought, wow, that's really cool. And it was so funny because I was looking at that painting and I thought, God, that looks a lot like Penny. And I, I just had this internal sense, but I knew, you know, that I didn't think you were painting Penny. I just thought, you know, you, you know, because you study Buddhism and all these other things, and it, it could be, you know, a, a, a Buddhist goddess or something sure. like that. Yeah, and this this image just, you know, the practice you've taught me, just emptying myself yeah. over the course of a couple of weeks before I was coming here. Yeah. And this image just came to me precognitively, right? And, and so we're deep in ceremony yesterday. I mean, very deep. Me and Jason don't play light. Uh, you know, he's he's got what I call his wings. So we we've been we we push the edges of of uh, we we take the ego completely out of the picture. <laughs> De- definitely on the edge of psychosis, right yeah. there. Yeah, we go right to the we go meet God at the edge of the universe. But we're in ceremony and. Penny walks in and she's got tears in her eyes and she goes, you're not going to believe what happened to me. And I'm like, well, you're crying, so I'm already nervous. And she goes, well, you know, I hate to bring this to you in the middle of your ceremony, but she goes, you know, somebody sent us some chocolates in the mail. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I get people send me stuff in the mail constantly, you know, yeah. like, people that want to sponsor my podcast and all sorts of stuff. But somebody sent a box of chocolates that either had magic mushrooms or, or, or marijuana in them. Yeah. And we don't know what it was. Yeah, but some surprise. She ate a chocolate yesterday morning. And by about midday, she was going through quite an experience, you know, and she's like wobbly legged and emotions going crazy yeah. and, you and she was gonna she was supposed to be our babysitter yes she's <laughs> like you know i said well you know you're gonna lay down with us here but anyhow you know and we both i think right about that time had the realization look that's penny in your painting yeah and i've got my favorite picture of penny yeah, on that, the wall. That, that one has always inspired me. There's a picture right in your kitchen of of Penny. I, it really looks just like this it, in this very like, beautiful face where it's really, to me, the essence of Penny. It's just like she's totally inside herself preparing for some sort of dance competition or something. Yeah, she was in it. She, and she just looks yeah. so beautiful in that picture. Yeah. And um, it really looks just like this image. It does. And so there's Penny with her head getting blown open. <laughs> And the sun and the moon, the eclipse of the the male and the female, right. the yin and the yang, the inner and the outer, and and so we were just cracking up at that. And that really just shows the the amazing ability for the soul to move move through you when you're doing art, right? And precognitive, you know, that was a precognitive because that art started, you know, what you started like, at least two weeks before, two weeks before you got here. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, I wanted to do something that I could paint in a, in a day without a lot of stress. And so I, uh, asked my soul for a vision. So I went into meditation and I sat on the water charger, my water charger up at the top where there's a lot of energy. 
And I said, you know, I'm going into ceremony and with Jason, you know that. So I, I need to paint something that'll stabilize both of us for the ceremony. So I painted this painting. And um, we were in ceremony, and I'm. And, and the, to preface this, me and Jason were doing our tarot draws, and fives kept coming up. There was just five after five after five. Everything was the the total of the date for the day was five. The total on the cards kept being five. There was just five. five. Our, our numbers added together, and our numbers five. added up together. So we, it's you know we do a tarot numerology, and so we look at his card. And my card, and so that tells me what happens when we mix our energies together. So if Jason's having this experience, I'm having this experience, the total tells me how I need to manage the situation so that both of us are in the best situation. There was just fives everywhere, right? So I'm sitting in ceremony with you, and this is after Penny had come, and Angie is a five. Angie's tarot number is five, her birth number. And so I'm sitting there looking, and it just dawned on me, where's the bird's beak? And I start one from the north position, two, three, four, five. I'm like, wow, that's just so trippy. I mean, there's 24 points on the star, and I just felt that the bird's beak belonged there, and it's in the fifth position. And five is the hierophant, which is in tarot is the spiritual teacher, and the spiritual teacher is someone who's got mastery of the physical plane, the mental plane, and the spiritual plane. You know, the three worlds, or the below, the middle, and the above, how, you know, many ways you can slice it up. But so, you know, this is just an example of, of how art gets past the ego's defense systems. Sure. And how, when you know how to read the symbolism, the bird is a symbol of the soul, the sun is a symbol of consciousness, but it's also an alchemical symbol for the ego. So my piece of art says... The soul will eclipse the ego, and you will be fulfilling your role as a hierophant. I just didn't know it would be for Penny, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that really shows the, the importance of all of our preparation in these ceremonies. I mean, can you imagine doing one of these ceremonies without having done your art or ha without having done tarot? It's such yeah. an incredible grounding factor. I mean... For the people out there that are just, you know, running into ceremonies without doing this preparation, I mean, quite honestly, it's extremely dangerous. Yes. Um, I, you know, if you're going deep into ceremony and you don't have a map, you know, if you don't have a map of where you're going from from your soul, yeah. from from the art you've produced, from the tarot that you've picked, um, you, you're quite lost and it, it could be quite dangerous, as you know. Uh, yes. Well, I've known six people to die in ceremony. That's a lot of people for one guy. Literally six people that I know yeah. never came back from a medicine ceremony. Yeah, these are not recreational experiences. No, and, and what happens if they become recreational experiences, then you, you have to deal with the karma that you generate for the silliness that you're engaging in. And, you know, look at how many cars have been crashed and people have been killed and, you know, uh, as you know, one of the things that happens when you're doing plant medicines is you you can lose your sexual barriers, and the next thing you know, you're someone's getting pregnant that's married to somebody else, and that just causes an avalanche of trouble. And God, the stuff I've seen happen when people start playing around with psychedelics and you know drugs of all types without really having um, 
a spiritual intention and being prepared and, and having someone to guide them safely, it's just sad. I mean, people have come to me, as you know, from all over the world and even famous people that anyone listening to this podcast would know who they are in in big trouble. And, and it's it's, you know, I'm just grateful that I you know, because I did a year of training with a with a a doctor that uses plant medicines to heal people, and and unfortunately, um, his style is quite dangerous. His philosophy is you blow the ego right the hell out of the house, and whatever happens is their karma. And I saw a lot of people get damaged, and so it was good that I studied with him because. You know, I have, as you know, a high tolerance for the medicines. I can take a pretty whopping dose and still write notes and write poetry and draw pictures. And paint, and which paint. is always amazing to me. <laughs> while, while I'm lying on the floor next to you, you're <laughs> painting a beautiful painting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what, what it did for me was it, it made me realize that there, this is not for everybody. And if you're not prepared, it can do more damage than good. And there has to be a filtration system. And some of my clients I've worked with, you know, Mike Salemi, most people know him. I, I, I made him wait two and a half years till I felt he had enough connection to his soul and uh, enough mental, emotional self-management to handle, you know, opening Pandora's box and, and being yeah. safe. And, um, seeing so many people hurt and, and, and what their psychological state was and, and what things needed to be looked at, um, it it took me a number of years, and you know some experimentation and some a lot of study to put together a safe system. And uh, I'm I'm really glad that spirit took me into the hell realms of seeing what happens to people, because you know what happens is a lot of people go and they do some mushrooms or something, and they have a fantastic experience. And the next thing you know, they're doing them and going out dancing, and they're driving around and and then it, you know, becomes a sex tool, which is fine, but potentially misleading if you're not careful. And the next thing you know, you, you've taken a sacred medicine, it becomes a recreational drug. And what happens is people keep pushing the boundaries. You know, oh, I, 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 last time I did this, you know, oh, I can drive a car on two hits of LSD. I'm like, yeah, right. Wait till you kill somebody, you know? Yeah. And so you, you, people start getting cockier and cockier. Yeah. The ego is very, very dangerous with these things. Yeah. Now, you know, for me, it's always been like, I've always looked at them as a, almost like a reward or a culmination of a practice. You know, yeah. you've, you've developed this inner practice for yeah. a period of time where you've got, you know, you've learned the tools to stabilize your own mind and, and work with your own mind and manage your own thoughts and manage your own inner process. And then you can have almost like a graduation where you can expand your consciousness and yes. go to the next level. Yeah. And that's only to then be aware of what you have uh, capacity for or abilities for all the time in your life. Yes. So then you go back to your regular life and now you're, oh, well, you know, I, I realize there's so much more around me than I realized before. And you start working with those things and you start integrating it and taking it to the next level. I mean, we talked about this at the Native Americans always said a year and a day. From the last ceremony, because yeah. they believed that's how much time was needed to really integrate it. Yeah, and there's so much danger in in doing these things too frequently. Too frequently, you know. I've always had such a reverence for them and a really healthy fear. Yeah. Um. You know, I I I greatly respect these plant medicines because I think it's it's one of the most foolish things you can do to misuse them 
and not to treat them in, in a sacred way that they are. I also think they're one of the greatest um, tools for killing spiritual pride because, you know, a lot of people get a little up themselves with what they think they know about God or life and, you know, they can get quite snooty like a lot of yogis can be kind of in-your-face snooty because they think they're special or vegans for God's sakes. You know, that kind of pride that my way's the right way and if you eat meat you're a nobody and it's sort of like the christian if you don't take jesus as your savior you're going to burn in yeah. hell and try living in alaska in the winter without meat yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> try that one <laughs> your new ice plant and so the point i'm driving at is when you do a, a proper ceremony and you and you got someone that's skilled knowing where you know like i connect to everyone's soul and say what's the right plant medicine and what's the right dose and you know it could be anything from eggnog to uh blow the lid off and um the point i'm making is is you know you know very well you know we've, we've both had some deep tours to the dark side and uh that's where you you know you peel your shadow off layer by layer and uh, i give you an example I, I thought i'd healed the pain of my brother's suicide my brother committed suicide when i was 35 and uh, I had some wickedly painful ceremonies where I just relived the pain and just didn't realize how much emotion and sadness was still and grief was still in me. And the first time it happened, it shocked the hell out of me. But I remember just crying so hard, my body ached for days, literally. I felt like I'd been beat up. And I thought, oh my God, I'm so glad I healed that. I hope that never happens again. That happened four more times over the next couple, maybe three years. And I got to the point where I was just afraid to go into ceremony because I just like, am I going to have to go through this again? My point is though, is, you know, as you grow spiritually, you think, oh, I've, I've healed myself. But you go next time, boom, you find a part of yourself that you didn't even know was there. You find a part of your family that you didn't know was there. You can find past life stuff you didn't know was there. And you come to a new level of humbleness, you know. It's just like, I, I think I think one of the most devastating things that we've lost, aside from losing the elders in our cultures, we've lost our medicine men and our shaman. Yeah. And so what we've got, we've got a bunch of psychiatrists and psychologists prescribing drugs to children, for God's sakes. And we've got no elders guiding our youth and even our not youth. I mean, you know, a, an elder in a, in a tribal society is someone who has a lot of life experience. They've seen famine, they've seen war, they've seen everything. Yeah. And when mom and dad are out hunting and gathering for the first half of the day, the elders are educating the children so that they've got the most empathetic, most compassionate, most loving people guiding them so that they have a chance of surviving in the world. But now what we've got is a bunch of schools full of burned out teachers that are just doing what they're told to do, reading outdated books that don't educate people for anything that's important for life. And I think it's, it's, it, you know, it's really a big part of what's going on in the world. And, yeah. and we've gotten to the point where people have such a, 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 a misguided respect for authority that they don't really recognize real authority versus pseudo authority. I mean, I mean, anybody that believes Anthony Fauci is a real doctor is seriously misled. And, you know, I could give you a long list of other names that go down that path as well. 
But um, well, that's really what you know inspired me in our relationship is you know that that sense of eldership. You know, yeah. you being this person who had been around the block, who have explored life, and passing that on to me. Yeah, and you know that's what I ultimately realized in my career when I was thirty nine years old. You know, having gone through that first divorce and now having you know being with these young children and realizing like, yeah, I could probably do this job for a few more years. Maybe I could make a few more bucks, but I want to learn to do something that I can do for the rest of my life. Yeah, for the next fifty, sixty years, and I, I decided. Well, I'm going to completely reinvent myself and start working on my eldership now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be, try to become an elder at 39 so that by the time I get to 42, 45, 50, I've already developed that eldership and I could be there to not only have a job that's sustainable for the rest of my life, but to pass on this knowledge to somebody else. Because most people wind up working till they're 50 or 60 and then having to spend the money that they earned on their health and medical bills yep. for the rest of their life. And they wind up that they don't know anything. And like you've said- uh, the Joseph Campbell quote, they spend their whole life climbing the ladder to realize it's on the wrong wall. Yeah, the ladder of success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a corporate executive, but I've got a heart attack uh, waiting to happen, and uh, I've lost connection to everything that's meaningful to me, but I sure have a nice car and a nice house. Yeah. Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable. And I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK15 at checkout. That's lowercase c-h-e-k 15 and you can save 15% off. This whole thing about the the shaman, you know, losing the shamanism is, you know, we've talked about this, the marginalization of dreaming in yes. our culture. Yeah. You know, the aboriginals and the, the shamans and the natives all were so in touch with, with the, the, the dreaming nature. And we just came off this beautiful dream workshop that you put together yeah. where you, you showed us how the world is actually dreamed into existence. Yes. And we are here creating our own dreams each day. Yes. And, you know, those dreams are not just at night, but they're, mm. they're our, our daydreams, our living dreams, our fantasies, our flirts. Yeah. Everything is part of our a, a dream that we're having. And we, we've got so sort of um, chronically into this mainstream consensus reality of believing that we live in a mechanical universe and forgetting all of the dreaming nature that's around us. And, you know, the, the shamans and the medicine men were, were in touch with that dreaming. Yes. I say God dreams you into existence so you can dream yourself into existence. Oh. Uh-huh. That's worth meditating on, right? God dreams you into existence so you can dream yourself into existence, which means to become a conscious co-creator in life 
and to have free will. So God gives us a soul so that we can have sentience and self-awareness. And the purpose of sentience and self-awareness is to go, wow, if I hurt somebody, it causes them pain. But if I love them, it causes them joy and connection, safety and security. If I think negative about myself, I feel bad about myself. If I think positive about myself and I love and care for myself and have four doctors, then I live in a way that exemplifies living and loving to other people. And then you realize, wow, when I set an intention and I really focus on it, I dream it into existence. So, you know, the the whole point of my dreaming workshop was to realize that the soul itself comes from beyond mind and life itself comes from beyond mind because behind mind is pure consciousness or non-being, which as we shared in the workshop is significance because it's aware of being. Yeah. And we learned that in the ceremony yesterday too. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> you know, when, when you're in touch with the, with you as the dreamer, yeah, it's so empowering. I mean, life becomes so much more purposeful when you're realizing that you're there dreaming what's happening. Nobody else, nobody's doing anything to you. It's all, it's all being dreamt up by you. Yes. And, you know, they're just, for me at least, when I realize that, you know, every animal that passes by, every person that I encounter, you know, every, every little fantasy I'm having, every song that pops in my head, yes. every flirt that I have with a color or a flower mm-hmm. or a bird or whatever, all of that is part of this dreaming process of awakening me to my full potential. Yes, it's so true, and um, and I think that's that's a beautiful Mendel concept, and I think a great book for people to read of Arnold Mendel's is The Shaman's Body. Amazing book. Yeah, and um, you know the concept of flirting. People have lost the foreplay of life. You know, they've they've. It's just hurry up, make more money. I'm so tired. I've got to drink coffee at night to stay awake so I can watch junk television to escape the reality that I'm unconsciously creating. But when you start paying attention to beautiful, like, uh, who was it? Somebody, Michael, I think it was Michael. Michael was what, doing a film shoot. You, you, Kirsty and Michael were doing the film shoot for our new Swiss ball video. And Michael said a hummingbird came and hovered right in front of his face, you know, and, and, and here's an example. I was teaching a Czech level, uh, Czech instructors, uh, every now, every couple of years, we have a meeting for the Czech instructors. This was quite wild. And I had just given them each a drum and we were all going outside to do a drum circle. And for some reason, as we were walking out the door, I think Penny called me on the phone, which I normally would have ignored it, but it was Penny. I picked up the phone and I was talking to Penny and a hummingbird landed on my left shoulder and a robin landed on my right shoulder. And they just sat there. And my, my instructors were staring at me like, what the hell? And then when the birds took off, I was walking, you know, on the back sidewalk of the heaven house. And there was a huge lizard and it jumped off the wall onto my sweater. Wow. <laughs> and my point is, that's flirting, right? That's, that's the collective consciousness. That's Gaia. That's, that's the collective talking to you and saying, you know, inspiring you. You're moving in the right direction. You're teaching people to drum. You're teaching people to sing. You're teaching people to reconnect to their souls, to nature. You know, and a bird comes and stares you in the eyes or, you know, like one of my friends 
was trying to find out what his power animal was. And I said, just pay attention to who's communicating to you. And about two days later, my friend calls me up. He goes, Paul, you're not going to believe it. I've been driving down the road. I'm on my way to see so-and-so. He says, for five miles, this hawk's been flying right above the hood of my car. <laughs> Literally, I could reach out and touch it. For five miles, this thing's been flying right in front of my car. I said, guess what? Now you know who your power animal is, right? How many people do you know that have had a hawk fly right above the hood of their car down the highway for five miles? I see, oh, there's one, that's rare. So if you, if you have an experience like that, you say, okay, what's the chances of that happening? If you did the math on that, it would be in the trillions to one. Yeah. But you tell somebody else that that's caught in their head, they say, oh, it's, it's just coincidence. Well, here, here's a quick way I could prove it to people. Yeah. You know, if the listeners at home were just close, you know, before they close their eyes, ask themselves a question that's on their mind. Yeah. A question about life. It could be a big question or a small question, something that's disturbing them. Yeah. Close their eyes for a moment. Let their mind go blank, like a Zen mind. And then open your eyes and scan your room and find the first thing in your, in your room that catches your attention. And when you look at that object... Look at that object, look at the color of it, look at the shape of it, look at the, the quality of it, the feeling of it, the energy of it, and, and see if, if, if that object has any answer for what your question is. I did it. You want to know what first thing that caught my mind? What's that? This empty smoke bag. <laughs> I needed help from my beautiful assistant. <laughs> but when you, know, when, you, when you do that, you realize that a real simple exercise of just letting your mind go blank Asking a question and then just scanning your environment. Yeah. And the first thing that flirts with you yeah. is, is, is dreaming with you. Is yeah. dreaming it, it, you're dreaming it up into your awareness to, to bring you some sort of meaning and some intention. Yes. Or it's dreaming you. Well, there's the magic. Right. Is the hawk dreaming us or are we dreaming it? You know, here's the paradox of it. It's all God. And you remember I gave the definition of God from Blaise Pascal. God is a sphere whose circumference everywhere, is a sphere whose, whose circumference is nowhere, and a center whose presence is everywhere. Yeah. So if you really think about what that means, even a single point can have as much consciousness as any other point. In other words, empty space can have as much consciousness as the Buddha, because yeah. it's all God or it wouldn't be here. There's no place God cannot be or creation couldn't exist. So what am I saying? I'm saying the hummingbird, we think, oh, it's got a little tiny brain, but you're missing the point. It's a, it's, it's a trillion, infi infinite number of points of consciousness to make the hummingbird. And we're an infinite number of points of consciousness. So you have to say, okay, well, why can't, you know, it's, it's, um, There's another saying from a Zen master. I can't remember who it was. He says, if man can dream he's a butterfly, what makes you think, think a butterfly can't dream he's a man? Right. And that's exactly the point I'm making. Yeah. And you know, if it, it, it's really, it brings up a, a, a few points for me, but if you can't look at a, but, a butterfly or look at a hummingbird and marvel what was the source that created this technology? Absolutely. This beauty. You yeah. know, we're looking at it, we're marveling at our iPhones. Look at the, the beauty of what 
uh, an acorn can create into an oak tree. Right. Or the beauty of a hummingbird flapping its wings at like, I don't know, some incredible rate in front of your eyes. Yes. You know, it, it's just, it's just the, the marvel out there is just amazing. And the other thing that I was thinking about was when you say a center who's everywhere, you know, if you look in at the point or you look at the center and then you blow that up, yep. you could find a, a deeper center. And then yep. you blow that center up and you find a deeper center up. And what did you realize? Well, the center or a point is infinite. Yes. And so that there is, that's, that's the, the nature of God is that infinity. Which brings up one of the quotes that my soul gave me yesterday. If you want to find God, look into forever. It's beautiful. And there's the point that has a center that has another center that goes on for infinite yeah. amounts. And then you look into forever. Because to find God means you have to objectify it like churches have, like religions have. You've got to do this or God will burn you in hell. Well, then you've got a God that's got edges to it and, and has wants and needs. Well, how could God have wants or needs if God is God? God has everything and is everything. I mean, yeah. if that's not fullness, what is? It really takes the omni out of God when you're the, putting limit, yeah, limiting you, you've factors just on it. Knock the omni right the hell out of the equation, which means yeah. you don't have God. You got an intellectual idea. Yeah. And so when you know when you lose touch with the beauty of the flower, the beauty of the hummingbird, you know. Even the beauty of healthy poop. I mean, I grew up on a farm. Most people are so afraid. You know, like you and I were talking about people washing their hands ceaselessly with all this COVID silliness and, and sanitizing the shit out of them, not realizing they're breaking down the bacterial barrier that protects their body from the very thing they're afraid of. They'd be better off throwing their kid in the garden. Yeah, yeah they would. You just go roll in some dirt. And lo and behold, when you look at studies of, of, healthy immune, of the health of the immune system, what do they find? The more kids you have in the family, the healthier the immune system. If you have two or more pets, you have a healthy immune system. Yeah. If you live on a farm where you're exposed to stink, bacteria, vomit, shit, and everything else, you got an even healthier immune system. Yeah. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? I haven't missed a day of work due to illness in my entire professional career of 38 years, and I grew up on a farm surrounded by stink and animals and guts and vomit and castrations. Dirty and, clothes. And slaughters and dirty clothes and well water and... Every other damn thing, right? Yeah. Which, uh, you know, since... We, we live in such a sterilized world it's, right now. It's, 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 really, it's sickening. Yeah. It's dysfunctional. What are we trying to protect ourselves against except ourselves? Invisible things we've never seen. Right, yeah. We don't even know they exist. Yeah. Fear is a lousy seeing eye dog. Yeah. You know, Jason... Another thing you did, which is quite interesting for a guy that's, you know, a trader and, and you used to be a trader, but you went to my HLC training, professional training to be a holistic life lifestyle coach. Yeah. Well, that must have been an interesting experience for you. I mean, especially after doing so much work with me privately, you know, you used to ask me, well, am I going to learn anything in HLC too? I said, you're going to learn about how... I coach people and what I think is important. So maybe you can share what the experience of taking HLC2 and you took it with my best instructor. Yeah, I took it with uh, Angie Check, the one and only. <laughs> the, the chief. Yeah, well, of course I had, you know, I've had 
many years of training with you, so I knew I knew a lot of the material very well. But what I learned in that was the extensive system and approach to evaluating a client. Yeah. Learning all of the questionnaires and all of the assessment forms and how to really pinpoint exactly what, what are the key factors that, that this client needs to focus on in this time. Where are they most out of balance? Which one of the four doctors, which one of the foundational principles are they most out of balance in? And, and where do they have the most stress in their life? And how to most effectively address that from the get-go? Yes. So yeah, that, the, the, the systematic approach of how to uh, assess somebody um, in a very, very methodical way. Yeah. Um, w- w- which for me as a trader and as a, as a data analyst analyst and somebody who re- really enjoys that, I was so impressed by, you know, just the extent of, of your surveys and your questionnaires and the amount of work that, that you know, you uh, demand out of a client. You know, in, in order for a client to actually even become a client in the check system, they probably have to do at least six to 10 hours of answering questionnaires. Yeah. Uh, something like that on their own time. Very deep. Questionnaires, Very too, deep especially questionnaires. With, with you're working with me, where you get into archetypes and family trauma and family history, such as Mark Woolen's work and um, you know myth myth development archetypes, archetypal assessment, primal you know core yeah. prostitute, dreaming, child, victim, saboteur, imago day, father, mother, child identifying what your working archetypes are so you know what's guiding you or when you're off your soul's path. Because just like I was sharing with the dreaming workshop, if you want to know what a dream's about, you got to look at what a person's not getting at a conscious level because the dream's trying to get something to consciousness that's being walled off. Yeah. And you notice how I started the workshop. I started the workshop by making a very simple point. I quoted Jung, your unconscious will meet you on the outside until you meet it on the inside, okay? So then I said, let's talk about four doctors. How many of you know what makes you happy but aren't doing it for yourself every day? Almost every hand in the room went up. How many of you know you should be getting more sleep but you're not doing it? Almost every hand went up. How many of you know you're over or under exercising but keep doing it anyhow? Almost every hand went up. Right, I went through all four doctors, and every almost every person in the room raised their hand on one or more of those doctors, and I say, "Okay, good, you're not listening to your unconscious." And this really gets back to you know, what's your unmet task? What is your unmet need? And, and, you, wh- and what's your secret story? And your secret story. And and what what was the unmet task of your parents that that you're now fulfilling in your life based on on your programming? And Jung said, "All children are tasked." with the unfinished business of their parents' lives. Yeah. And Mendel talks about the fact that, you know, we, we think we get this inheritance where, you know, maybe if we're lucky enough, our parents leave us a little bit of money or maybe, you know, a house or something. But what they also leave us is psychological inheritance mm-hmm. where everything that, that they believed and all of their belief systems and all of their dogma and all of their ways of doing things gets passed down to us. And, you know, one of the things that's inspired me in my life the most is trying to get off that wheel. Yes. So that I don't have to pass that on to my children. Yes. I think that's really important, getting off the wheel of these of these perpetual belief systems and dogmas that could go back for millennium. Yes. You've got three kids now. I've got three kids. I've got a almost three-year-old, a six-year-old, and a 42-year-old, and a grandson. And you've got, what, a two and a, a six, and an six and an eight. Yeah. You know, 
what do you think we need to be concerned about for our children's future today? Well, you know, this is a really scary time. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm highly concerned for my children. You Me know, too. My children were in a Waldorf school, and I can't even, which is, you know, as you know, the, one of the best places you can get an education. And I couldn't even send them there because, you know, the Waldorf school is mandating masks and, you know, six feet distance and all this, you know, virtual learning and all this crap. Which goes against everything that Rudolf Steiner teaches. Yeah, and it's amazing, you know, I don't want to beat up on the Waldorf school too much, but they had this real big policy of not having any kind of uh, computer technology or, mm-hmm. or TV or anything um, until the child's at least, you know, 12 years old or something. And then lo and behold, as soon as COVID hits, everything goes virtual and everything is computer. Yeah. So they, they just uh, threw that out like, uh, you know, like it was nothing. And so, you know, I think, I think really educating our, our youth on the principles of the four doctors yeah. uh, of these great teachings, like we should learn the four doctors in kindergarten. We should, the, the most important thing we can learn is how to take care of ourselves and how to take yeah. care of the planet. We should be learning the Vedas and these in Taoism yes. and these ancient texts in elementary school. Yes. You know, we, we grow up without even knowing these amazing seven, 8,000 year old texts even exist until we're lucky enough, maybe in our 40s or, or never, to learn them. And if you join an organized religion, you will get chastised and excommunicated if you start talking about looking at books on Buddhism or whatever your dogma is that you're indoctrinated into. There are defense mechanisms very well put in place so you don't look into any other belief system. Yeah. You know, all all of the great cultures talk about every action you do, making it purposeful that it in thinking about how it'll affect the next seven generations. Yes. You know, we, we have a crisis, a disease of thinking that we live in a w- one lifetime universe. Yes. That we come, we come here, we only have one life, you know, we get one shot and then we're going to heaven or hell. Yes. You know, but th- the reality is, is that we're here for eternity. Yes. And if we, re- if we acted in, in, you know, through our Dharma, acting in a way that we thought about the, every action of how that might affect the next seven generations. That's really what we need to get back to. Totally. Not, not what's going to affect us in the moment, you know, not how much uh, resources we could, we could drill and how much money we can make, but how are we going to l- leave the world a better place for our children? Because quite honestly, as a parent, I'm, I'm quite concerned for our children's future. I mean, the oceans are polluted, the air's polluted, the water's polluted, the food's polluted. The soil. You know, uh, our politics are polluted, our science is polluted, our medicine's polluted. I mean, it's- Education, com- banking, uh, you know, we well, spent trillions of dollars on nuclear weapons and fighter jets and exotic weapons while four billion people- on this planet, make less than $7 a day and don't have enough to the resources to meet their basic survival needs. And don't even have enough, uh, as much space as a closet right. to, to live in. Right. You know, and, and, and we're, we're sending billions of dollars to go to explore Mars, which, uh, you know, is kind of a joke when we, we really need to be t- taking care of our own planet. And there's nothing on Mars. Yeah, except right? a lot it's, of heat. It's a barren planet that we probably previously destroyed with the same level of ignorance as a metaphor but here we are on this blue pearl with no life that we can recognize for as far as we can see with our so-called advanced technology and we're destroying it and not thinking of even one generation so here's an example of what happens when you think about seven generations i'm 60 years old 
I remember when kids only needed three vaccinations. Then I remember when it was 27. Now it's 42. Then you look at the COVID. Oh, you just have to get the shot and you'll be okay. Oh, no, then you have to have this booster. Then there's this variant. Then there's that variant. Okay, so everyone listening should ask yourself this question. Look at how many boosters have been implemented in the last two years and say, what is it going to be seven generations from now? Well, you're just going to be a walking pincushion. Yeah, and this this is you know it's 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 a total joke because if if you look at the people that are actually affected by this, most of them have two to three comorbidities. They're right? already ready to die. Most of them have diabetes, and you know, you know, the the answer is not, hey, let's go out in the sun, let's you know, hug our neighbor, let's grow some food, let's drink some water, let's move our bodies. It's no, let's let's put a mask on, let's stay indoors. Let's uh, keep the bars and the pot shops open, but you know, not not focus on on you know the essential businesses of the mom and pop stores. You know, the Amazons and the WalMarts are are killing it while yeah. all, all of the family owned businesses are put out of business. You know, it, it's just a complete crisis, and I think you know I, I'm really you know I've lived a, a good life, and I know you have too. And at, at this point, I realize that you know you know if I died today, I, you know obviously I would. would want to miss out on, on my kids growing up but i feel i feel privileged enough that i've lived a good enough life but I, I am deeply concerned about the future of our children and i think that we really need to be teaching them from the get-go how to live in reciprocity with the earth how to understand the laws of nature and how to understand their own bodies you know this is way more important than you know uh any kind of left brain education we can teach them because if we don't do this there may not even be those opportunities in 20 or 30 years uh it, it, we're, we're really at a tipping point on earth and if we don't make a change if we don't start thinking about our children and their children um and even a place for us to re reincarnate back into right uh, i think we're gonna we're gonna be in for uh a deep deep problem and why do we need to teach them about food because Doctor Diet builds a temple of body for your mind. Doctor Diet builds a temple of body for your mind. We raise and eat our food with love and makes our chemistry. We raise and eat our food with love and makes our chemistry. Add good water and a smile be filled with energy. Add good water and a smile be filled with energy. Eat good organics and be wise. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Yum, yum. Yeah, baby. Start right there. And you know, Elliot Hulse's brother, Eric Hulse, is a school teacher. Yeah. And he really impressed me. He took HLC2, went back to the school he teaches in, and started a four doctors club. They practiced singing the songs. He had them growing plants, <clears throat> taught them how to do basic gardening and farming, and did all the four doctor practices, and he's probably still doing it today. And I was like so grateful to see a school teacher do that. It was just so lovely. Yeah, start with the little things. You know, teach your children how to have gratitude for their food. Yeah. Do a food prayer. We you do know, every day. Go yeah. Out, yeah, us too. Go outside. You know, pick up some garbage. You know, t teach the kids about the the importance of nature and how, you know, they're a part of it. It's, it's such a lost thing. I mean, indigenous cultures, they, they, they graded themselves not by how much money they made, but how much they're nurturing and feeding each yeah. other. How many people have you fed? 
how many people are you taking care of? Yeah. How many people are you supporting? Yes. You know, not what your title is or, or you know, how much money you've made or, or the size how of your many, bank account. how many exotic cars do you have in the garage or whatever, you know. Um, I was, uh, we were fortunate because Mana's Steiner School, when they did the mask mandates, the only way they could not have the kids wear masks was to move the whole school outside. So these kids show up in the morning, no matter how cold it is, they got to put their jackets on and they go outside and they spend the entire day outside in the dirt, in the gardens, watering, you know, they, they bake food, they have little ovens, they, they learn to cook, they learn to paint, they learn to make crafts, they learn how to use garden tools and move dirt wheelbarrows. And so Mana loves it, you know. I, I'm like, I'm thinking, well, you know, must be, you know, some days it's like 100 degrees out there. Some days it's cold and they're shivering. But they really learn to be in the world and, and connect to the elements. And I think, I don't know if there's any other school around that was that committed to following Steiner's principles that literally moved the kids outside yeah. to you know, protect them. We've, we've completely lost touch with that. I mean, we sit here in these 24-hour light yeah. environments. Can you imagine, you know, 100 years ago, we would have been so much more in touch with darkness. Oh, yeah. When darkness came at night, you know, maybe you had a candle, maybe mm -hmm. you had a fire, mm -hmm. but there was this whole period of darkness. You know, if you wanted to make a fire, you had to go out collect firewood mm -hmm. and usually it was not by cutting down trees but it was taking fallen branches or mm -hmm. you know branches of trees that were, were sick or dying and bringing them back making a fire making an offering in the smoke to mm -hmm. send up to the laws of nature the personified yes. laws of nature that support all of us in a purposeful way yeah and then taking the ash from the fire and putting it back in the soil yeah you know the we the wheel the, of life we we have so lost this reciprocity and this connection with taking care of the soil that we're we're, we're, we're literally raising dumber and dumber people because of that absolutely um dumb enough not to pay attention to what's happening to them right now yeah, and Weston A. Price showed that, you know, in, in his work with the, you know, studying the uh, native diets, native diets, and the African diets, and you know how far we've come, and that was like I don't even know, hundred years, nineteen thirty-eight. Yeah, so almost you know ninety some odd years ago. Yep, long time ago. P3OM by Bioptimizers is hands down one of the most important supplements to have on you everywhere you go if you're traveling. If you go to work, if you're going to friend's house to eat, this product will knock out food poisoning and almost any kind of gut disorder from viruses, bacteria, fungi, whatever could irritate your gut so quickly. It's mind-blowing. I have been using this product since Wade Lightheart first turned me on to it, and he's the formulator of it. And I've got Wade here to tell us how it works, but I just want you to hear it from me. I have all my clients use this. I try to get it to friends, to family members, because it is really like your own bodyguard. So Wade, how in the world does this thing work so well every time? Well, as you know, we're very research oriented and we have literally a university in Croatia that we do microbiome testing with our labs of PhDs to find out what's the most effective formulation. And we are quickly moving into the post-antibiotic world where we need to cultivate super 
probiotics. We all heard of super bad bacteria in hospitals and stuff that are antibiotic resistance. But what we did, we worked with a medical doctor that was able to take an aggressive strain of L. plantarum, which is a very aggressive strain, and then put it through almost like a BUDS camp, a Navy SEALs training where we subjected this particular probiotic to a toxic environment. We ran a sine wave through it. And out of that survived only about somewhere between two and 3%. We then take that and grow it on very special food. We feed them just like you would feed a great athlete. You feed them special food and the probiotics develop unique capabilities. We have a US patent that is so powerful. I can't read it on the airwaves because we'd get canceled. But what I can say is when you put P3OM in your body, it goes out and breaks down any undigested protein, whether it's in your gut or through your blood system. And it becomes your Navy SEALs defense force, if you will, to go out and wipe out whatever pathogen might come in your body. You just need more of these guys to overwhelm it. It takes it out. It cleans up any messes. And for the last 18 years, I've been using P3OM daily. And I can honestly say, I've never been sick during that time. If I feel something coming on, I just double down my dosage, take four caps every night. If I get a little, if I'm traveling, I take twice that. And it's been great. A lot of our people do it. And it's one of our best selling products. And it's available to your audience. Just go to p3om.com slash living 40, put in Paul 10, get a 10% discount. And if it's not the best probiotic you've ever had in your life, you get 100% of your money back. That's from us at Bioptimizers. That's our guarantee for you. Go get it. It's for real. I love the stuff. Thank you, Wade. Well, you know, to close our fun and beautiful conversation, I think we can just go back to the dreaming, you know? I, I tell people all the time, if there's one thing we all need, it's what I call the dream board. We have to have healthy soil or we can't have healthy food. We got to have healthy water or we can't have healthy life or food. We got to have clean air or we can't breathe properly and we poison ourselves and we all need each other. You know, I think all one of the things that's been so sickening is all the segregation that COVID's caused, segregating families, breaking families up, causing, you know, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And, you know, the way I handle that is I say, congratulations, we're in an experiment. The vaccinated, they're the study group. The unvaccinated are the control group. So if you want to be in the study group, go ahead and see what happens when you experiment with an experiment. <laughs> right. A double experiment, an untested, unproven, new, never before tried, dangerous, toxic cocktail that would meet any scientific standards of any real science whatsoever. And I'll be the control group and we'll yeah. see who comes out the better. Yeah. And in, in the name of science, you would think people would be excited about that. Right? Yes. Because that's, that's true discovery. It is true you discovery. Know, that's that's what, if, if we're not here to really figure out how to get out of the system, then what are we doing? You know? Yeah. I think, you know, taking away people's choice to, to what they put into their own body, how they manage their own lives, I think that's really a crime. Um, it's a removal of life itself. Yeah. Yeah. What do you got if you have no choice? You're not you're not a human. You're a machine, and that's part of the problem. We've got this scientocracy, this technocratic revolution that wants to biohack people right down to their thoughts, feelings, and emotions, chip you, 
monitor every spend you do, control you with what you can buy, can't buy, where you can go, not go. I mean, who in their right mind thinks that is life and freedom and living? And where's the creativity in that? That is utterly turning yourself over to somebody else's nightmare. Yeah. What do you get out of that? Where your kid? What do your kids get out of it? What does the future look like? The future, uh, it, it looks like a lot of scary friggin' movies is what it looks like. Like the zombie apocalypse would be a great example. Yeah. So I think we all need to dream bigger together and we need to dream together and we need to, like you said, think seven generations ahead. Yeah. And I don't think you need to be very much of a genius to know that there isn't even going to be seven generations if we don't clean up our act immediately. Yeah. And, you know, with that dreaming, it's surround yourself with your dream team. Yes. You know, finding the people in your life that are uh, harmonious with your goals and values and helping you get to to your dream, right? Yes. Surrounding yourself with, you know, stating your dream to the people in your family, to the people that are your friends or coworkers, and then finding the ones that are in alignment with your values and, and, and surrounding yourself with those kinds of people. And we got to get rid of all this racist bullshit. And all the polarization. I yeah. mean, this whole Democrat, Republican, you know, vax, unvax, all of the, all yeah. of this splitting is such a smoke and mirrors, you know, yeah. we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And until we, we literally wake up and hold hands and realize that we, we, the only way out is a, out is of together. this is together. We and you know, the 99% together. is stronger than the 1%. Totally. And, and the thing is, is that people got to remember that they can be part of the 99%. Yeah. You know, because if you fall into the trap, then you actually become the um, doormat of the 1%. Right. And as David Icke talks about, we are the base of the pyramid that the 1% sits on. Right. Right. So they're, they're, they're on, literally standing on our shoulders. So, you know, we, we're the ones who decide uh, on what, what happens if we wake up and realize our own power. And the other thing is they're using our tax dollars and our, our choices to spend money on their companies to keep them doing this. I mean, that's one of the biggest paradox. All this torture for the last two years has been funded by us. Yeah. I mean, like, wait a minute. If you don't like the dangerous drugs out there, quit buying them. How many people had to die from Oxycontin and all this other crap? Oh my God. Before people finally woke up. I'm like, okay, well look, pay attention. You know, here's an example of truth. I've got a book in my library. I wish I remembered the title, but these doctors, these psychologists in New York, they were the first to identify what's called body dimorphism, where they took anorexics and had them draw pictures of themselves on a piece of paper. And they did the same thing with bodybuilders. And they found that bodybuilders always drew pictures of themselves much smaller to scale than they really were. And anorexics drew themselves as these great big people. So they saw that there was this warping of the mind. Yeah, in these and the same thing happens in their dreams as Yeah, well. sure, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. And so I think this was the same group that figured this out. But anyhow, what they did was they took kids that had ADD and ADHD and related disorders, and they took them on a field trip once a week out into the forest and let them run around on trails and just have fun in the forest. And they found one trip to nature a week knocked out ADD, ADHD, and most of these other uh, diagnoses that kids are on drugs for and getting put into the back of the classroom or kicked out of school or whatever. And what does it show you? 
we have lost touch with what we are. We are the world. Yeah. We are the sun. We are the moon. And when you lock people in buildings and f- make them stare at computer screens and eat junk food all day, they lose connection with the greater self. And now they have a name for it too, nature deficit disorder. Yes, that's, that's it. That's what which it is. is which is wild. And you know, Dr. Kareem and Dereya in their headquarters in, uh, in Egypt at the biogeometry headquarters, they take they have a they have like a pavilion type biogeometry classroom, mm-hmm. and they take children that have severe autism and severe spectrum um, disorders disorders, and they bring them into this space. And for twenty four hours, from being in the space to twenty four hours after, they're symptom free. Yes, I, just I, from being in a classroom yep. that's not uh, like a square. Yeah, right? that's biogeometry um, tuned. Yeah, and it's the same thing that we did to the Native Americans by taking them out of the circular tents and putting yep. them in the reservations and the square buildings. Sick. And so, you know, we, we have our kids in square buildings. We live in, in square houses, and we don't realize that we are the environment. Yes. And that, you know, we are an open system that, yeah. it, that, is, that is interacting with everything around us. Yes, and for people that don't understand, when you're talking about a round tent versus a square, you're talking about the influence of shape on the flow of energy. Yeah. And if a simple way to think of it is okay, if you pick up a trumpet and blow in it, it's got a shape and that shape makes a specific sound, but if you pick up a French horn, you get a different shape and if you pick up a flute, you get a different shape and all of them transform wind into a different sound which is a different expression of energy. Yeah. And so if you are in a square, it it contains energy, it holds it in. If a cir- you're in a circle, it moves energy around. So it's flowing in a circle, but a square is, is like, you know, if you put water in a swimming pool and you don't circulate it, it stagnates. Yep. So if you're in buildings that stagnate energy, then it stagnates the energy in you and you start rotting essentially inside. You know, it, it breaks down your biological connection to the flow of energy in the environment. Yeah. And through the physics of quality that, you know, you can see that sound and shape and color and taste these are all overlapping uh, energies that are can be like synonymous for each other yeah. right and so you know when, when we break da- when we break down what we are at the beginning there was the word we are <laughs> sound yeah. we are frequency yeah. we are shape we are color yeah. we are uh, taste you know we are all these senses and things and so just waking up to to the impact of all this and how it's affecting us is is really important yeah well We've had a phenomenal conversation. Thank you. It's been great. Thank um, you. You know, we've never had a shitty conversation in 11 years, so. No, we've always had fun. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's an important point. You know, we can have fun healing. We can have fun recreating. We can have fun awakening to what our children need. We can have fun biogeometrizing our houses we can have fun planting gardens you know it's an interesting statistic i've got right here in two books on that shelf of my old rare books i've got some books written in the uh, 60s but they did surveys of health uh, rates of health uh, of illness and disease during the first and second world war and they found that approximately 50% of the people during the First and Second World War due to food shortages had to grow food in their backyards and the disease rates went to the floor. 
But as soon as the wars were over and all the food factories started up, then the disease rates rose back up again. Yeah. And the big thing about that too was the women were we're now doing the farming. Now the women were farming. Right? So now they're making love with the, the plants and singing and, to the plants and, and watering them, them just like a woman would do mm-hmm. while the men were off uh, overseas. Killing each other. Yeah. Like like men usually do. In the name of nationalism. And religion. And religion, yeah. But uh, but and, and just to touch on that, that point about being healthy, I mean, that's the one thing that I think it's the biggest takeaway that I learned from you. When I first came to you in 2010, you know, my life was very dry. Yeah. I took exercise and diet. I was super, super rigid. Yeah. And I come can come to visit you and we're hanging out and we're doing Tai Chi and we're painting and we're watching a movie at night and we're making popcorn and we're putting butter on it and we're, you know, a little bit extra crispy in the popcorn. And I'm like, wow, being healthy is fun. It is fun. It's fun. And when you when you can when you start to feel that energy in your body, that creative force and the you know, when your body doesn't when you don't really feel your body anymore because it feels so good, right? Yeah. And you're having so much fun in your life. Yeah. And you have so much energy to create. Uh it's just it becomes so beautiful and so and so playful. That's the feeling of freedom. See, most people feel their body because it hurts all the time. But when you don't feel your body because it feels good. It's called freedom. Yeah. You know, you the way you feel your body is when it talks to you and it says, okay, let's go for a walk or okay, let's not work out so hard today or let's drink water instead of coffee. You know, you just got to listen. Yeah. I mean, when you realize how much wisdom is in the body, you're talking about 4.9 billion years of evolution and somebody thinks that they can just give you a shot and make it better. Or cut something out and make it better. Or biohack it and make it better. Okay, good. You think you can biohack 4.9 billion years of evolution? Good luck. Try four doctors first. (laughs) Well, Jason, what a dream to have been able to share all this time with you. and, and, And I know you and I will be doing this forever. Uh... Even when we're done, we'll find you on the other side. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, we're going to be many generations ahead. What, what is, what is, uh, what are you dreaming into existence for yourself now? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm working, um, you know, in the world as a, as a practitioner of all the things you've taught me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm studying deeply in process work, process oriented psychology. I'm working as a therapist there, um, you know, helping, helping clients with kind of, holistic health wealth and um getting in touch with their dreaming i'm also uh in dreaming up working with organizations and working with really polarized groups i think one of the biggest things that we need with all these different split groups is somebody to sit in the middle and be a neutral facilitator so yeah i've been practicing with all sorts of groups i've been working with russians and ukrainians and trying to help facilitate their problems in the war um you know, so yeah, I have my hands in all sorts of stuff from biogeometry to tarot to process work to shamanism to drumming and mm, making music. Making music, and um, I'm just ready to share it with the world and available to uh, to to share the knowledge that I've received from all of the great teachers like yourself. Mm, thank you. You know, it was like thank you for being a good student and, yeah. and sharing it. You know, that's it's people like you that give me the peace that I can die knowing that I did my best to leave the world a little better than I found it. Yeah. That, well, that's important to me. And for me, it was like being lost in the desert and hear somebody coming with their hands open with 
PG3 water and, (laughs) you know, giving me a drink. And so for me, it's like, I feel so honored to have received this information and, you know, from, from you and all of my great teachers that I feel this, this, I wouldn't say burden, but this responsibility to pass it on and to be, to be an elder to the next generation and to pass on this great knowledge. I'm so grateful to be part of this lineage of wise people um, of all these wonderful teachings that have been passed down. And I feel like it's, it's my duty um, as well as I think others should feel this way to, to learn and pass on this knowledge. So it's not lost. The other thing that I think is important is we've got to get the wise people of the world more airtime. Yeah. We've got to somehow figure out how to get the dumb shit television off and the useless distracting garbage and get people on TV that can really educate people and we've got to stop making money and profits more important than communication community reciprocity and nurturing nature and supporting each other that's one of the reasons I love Gaia TV because you can go there and you can spend hours with Bruce Lifton we can spend hours with Greg Braden Joe Dispenza Joe Dispenza um, Jeffrey Mishlove, Alan Watts, anybody. Yeah, and um, Regina Meredith and uh, um, George Norrie and, and uh, you know, there's just like the list of really dialed in people from the greatest scientists and shaman to healers to sound healers. I mean, I, I, th- I think Gaia should be mainstream education for people from any age on. Yeah. And we, we've got to figure out together, you know, the thing is, is if we stop watching garbage and devoting ourselves to creating and or adhere, using the systems that are out that do deliver wisdom, we, we, we will make a transition. But, you know, it all begins with education. You can't, you can't um, change a paradigm without uh, a higher level of education. Yeah, and you know, you've taught me this, but it, you know, we we live in our, our government is is run by corporation. Yes, and so ultimately, it's all about money. Yeah, and so the number one power we have is not voting in the election, it's, but it's how we spend our dollars. Yep. So if we go out there and we start supporting the Gaia TVs and we so, start supporting the Organifies and the mm-hmm. Symbioticas and all mm-hmm. of these you know wonderful businesses producing these great products. That those are the are the companies that are, they're going to thrive. You know, we yes. ha- we have to say we're we're not gonna we're not gonna support um, the garbage anymore. We're not going to support you know the, the crap that's on TV. We're going to support the good networks, the good companies that are care about the earth, that create good products, mm-hmm. and you know that will ultimately influence politics and the rest because it's all about the money. We got to get rid of this whole silly horseshit commercial farming and bill gates factory farming and and uh, making tomatoes and vegetables that produce vaccines and pesticides inside of them i mean that's just i mean polluting space people think that that's intelligent how about regenerative farming regenerate rehabilitate the soil a real farmer makes the soil better every year, but commercial farmers and chemical farmers destroy it. We're almost out of topsoil. I mean, when you start, we've totally crushed the, the middle of our a whole middle of our country. Thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres of topsoil completely lost. Where I think you know we're, we're probably on on the verge of famine. Oh, of course I mean, we are, and they call this science. 
they everything they say that they back this with what they call science, but it's purchased science. It's not science. It's propaganda masquerading as science. Yeah. You know, we've got to get back to the earth. We've got to get, you know, when you look at people like the Amish, a lot of people look at the Amish and say, oh my God, that's silly. Who would want to live that way? But you know what? The Bible says something pretty profound. The meek shall inherit the earth. And that's what it looks like. Yeah, I think the Amish are probably doing pretty good in COVID. They they probably didn't get any of it. And they probably and they didn't, didn't change get, their life very and much they didn't either. Watch television or get stuck to their cell phone or yeah. brainwashed. And so I th- I think, you know, we've got to start looking at people that stuck to the basics and say, you know, I'm not saying we need to go back to buggies and carts. What I am saying, so everybody's clear, we can use the same exact technology that's destroying the world in positive ways. Your phone can be the gateway to health, education, and freedom, or it can be the gateway to death and destruction. Your computer, your all the money we spend on the military, what if we took the military and tasked it with cleaning up the soils, cleaning up the oceans, and using advanced military technology to increase our awareness of how to bring ourselves back into harmony instead of preparing to destroy each other. You know, I went to a a town meeting in my town and uh, a group of anthroposophists and Dr. Thomas Cowan was there. Mm -hmm. And I was there presenting a little bit about biogeometry to the group. And, you know, here are people that are are, are raging against, you know, not wanting to have, you you know, cell phone towers and 5G come into their town, which I completely understand. But my point to them was, look, we have to go with what's happening. Mm-hmm. I want to be the first town to br- bring a 5G tower into my town, but to harmonize it with biogeometry. Yeah. Because then the same technology that's blasting an enormously disharmonious signal could be blasting a healing frequency to, to the whole town. Yes. You know, so it's it's working with technology. We have we have the simple solutions to make these technologies healing for us and to be and have them be really expansive in our communities. Um, it, it, like you said, it's not about going back to the buggies. No, it's about just working with the laws of nature and 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 harmonizing that with technology. Yeah, it's, and we got to quit this. You know, what is Klaus Schwab's guy Harari? I forgot his first name. I I get sick watching this guy talk. This guy thinks he's going to biohack everybody. He's teaching the rich that they could control everybody. He says this. All this God and soul stuff is is ridiculous. I'm like, you're you're knocking out everything that the human spirit is connected to. And just because you can't weigh it and measure it doesn't mean it's not real. I mean, can you weigh and measure love? Let me see you pull that trick. I say to these left brain scientist types all the time, so you don't believe if you can weigh and measure something that it's real? And their answer is yes. I say, okay, good. Weigh and measure your love for your wife and your kids. How do you measure that one? And then just go blank. I go, yes, there's a lot more to life than you can weigh and measure. And the things that are the most important are what's invisible that moves between us. Mm. And when you focus on the love and the possibility, you can't see your thoughts, but they're there. And they're either positive or they're negative. And if you change your mind, you change what you see. If you change your orientation to your heart, you see something that's immeasurable but moves mountains.
And I think we got to get back to moving mountains together. And I don't mean literally moving the dirt, but I mean moving the obstacles that are really either going to give our kids a future or, let's face it, we're dancing on the edge of the sixth mass extinction. And I say, let's rattle, drum, plant, clean, and honor the life that supports us, and as the Buddhists would say, the great chain of being, because we depend upon the little ones beneath us, and instead of poisoning them and killing them, we've got to nurture them and love them, and I think this is the great awakening. I think, you know, the term the great reset has been re-termed the greater reset by people that are smart enough to know what the opportunity is, and I say, this is the greater reset. We We need to turn that great reset into the great turn. The great turn, yes. And the, you know, the natives say a warrior is one who's not at the effect of anyone at any place at any time, who shows up with courage, which is to be who you really are, yeah. to show up to be yourself. And it's all time that we show up with who we really are and we're not at the effect of anyone at any place at any time and become warriors. Yes, it's... I think we should finish the way we started. Dr. Happy is the dreamer. Dr. Happy is the dreamer. Dr. Happy is the dreamer, don't you know? Dr. Happy is the dreamer. Dr. Happy is the dreamer. Dr. Happy is the dreamer, don't you know? Dr. Happy sets your rhythms. Your rhythms set your pressure. And your rhythms and your pressure make your flow. And your rhythms and your pressure make your flow. Ho, ho. Aho. Aho, great spirit. Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm working on a website, but right now the best way is to email me. Um, We could put that in the show notes. Okay. You know, I'm going to be coming out with a lot of different stuff online. I've been kind of in a hermiting stage for the last few years, really trying to, which I recommend to a lot of people, to get off social media, uh, to get off all the junk, and to really go find themselves, and then from that place emerge back into the world. So And do your dreaming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Get quiet so you can do, don't be afraid to be alone with yourself. First place to find God is right inside of you. And I'm not talking about a religious God. I'm talking about forever. I'm talking about a mystery. The closest way to get to that mystery is to love. To love. To love. Love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Thank you for everything. Thank you. You've been the... One of the biggest blessings in my whole life. You've been one of the greatest lights in my life and one of my best friends. And I just can't thank you enough for everything, our friendship, our relationship, teaching. And it's just been such a joy and honor to be your student and um, to many more years together. Hey, you've been my teacher in a lot of ways too, man. I've had to go through some challenges with you that I had to really like get still and say, how do I help him through this? This is, you know, I've had to surf some tidal waves with you and you've, made me have to get very still so that I was not misleading you in any way. And yeah. And as Ross says, they, they say the word teach slash learn. Yeah. It's one, it's not separate. It's no. one, one together, you know, yeah. we're always teaching and we're always learning and the great teachers are always learning. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned all the time, man. My kids are my great teachers. <laughs> oh, they are. And that's, that's another thing about children, looking at them as, as your teacher, yeah. you know, of course you're there to kind of guide them, but to realize that this is probably, you know, you're on an iPhone 6 and they're on an iPhone 13 yeah. <laughs> coming in with a much higher technology, 
probably a much more advanced soul with a lot more to offer and much more connected to source. So, yeah. you know, wake up to the brilliance in your children. Um, trust them. Trust the intuitions of their bodies, of their likes and dislikes. If they say they like a certain food or don't like a certain food, allow the wisdom of their body to come through and don't don't hit them with any of your dogma. You know, find what they love to do. Find their their what they're instinctually good at and support that and educate them, you know, help them find what they love to do so that they could sing their song in the world. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you to the sponsors for the podcast because we love you and you make amazing products. And uh, thank you to all of you for anything you buy from the podcast sponsors that help support the podcast. And they all are beautiful people with very sustainable practices and real deep concern for each of you and the planet. And I love their products too. They are very good. Amazing stuff. I won't, you know what, if I have to go broke to run the podcast, I'll do that before I'll sell anything I don't believe in. Because like you said, it's where we spend our money that is our vote. There is no real political vote anymore. You vote with your wallet. You vote with with your money. Yeah. So take that stimulus check and put it to something good. Yes, yes. And uh, I think we can all dream big together. It's time. Let's do it. Aho. Aho, great spirit. It is done. It is done. It is is done. done. We are safe. We are are home. home. We are are whole. Thank you. Aho. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Jason Picard. You can connect with Jason via his website, jasonpicard.org. That's J-A-S-O-N-P-I-C-K-A-R-D dot O-R-G. Follow Paul on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.